Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Phantom Video Podcast. And this is technically, I guess, sort of the second episode. We did do a uh, bonus episode, part of Phantom Galaxy. And for the time being, this podcast, uh, the next few episodes will be running on the Phantom Galaxy feed, but this will eventually separate. I'm looking to probably see a separation for the show come like mid-September, where it will then have its own feed, and we'll have a few episodes under our belt so we can kind of uh, get it its own identity and its own Facebook group and things like that. It is dedicated to primarily physical media, but uh, it's looking at films from a historical and a critical perspective from the viewpoint of a collector. So we will do a lot of reviews of individual discs and things like that. Uh, I am not looking to do a stuffy show. It's sort of a hangout here. Uh, If you've listened to Phantom Galaxy, you know that. And if you listen to our last episode, the bonus episode we did on Criterion Films, you kind of get an idea for how the show will work. Uh, We also have a new segment that we're going to introduce at the very end of of this show that will become a a regular part of the series, even if it's not in every episode. But I want to bring in my co-host because I'm not uh, the singular host on this show. And I have with me tonight, I have Dave Becker. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you. And um, I'm so happy that that the previous episode uh, seemed to be uh, such a hit. You know, yeah, it was it was a it was a big success in terms of uh, I think people listening and, and having some feedback and I think people interested in. In this, you know, like I say, it's only probably the eighth show we've started this year in Phantom Galaxy, but right. <laughs> I, I do think this uh, scratches a certain itch, so I'm excited to yeah, give you that. And I love it because this is this is sort of my niche, you know, physical media um, uh, with uh, with DVD infatuation and uh, just my uh, my you know collection in general. So this is awesome, and um, I'm I'm so happy to uh, to be a part of this. And we're very happy to have you here. And I have a question in a minute, but first I want to bring in the other uh, co-host that we have, and that is Trey Whetstone. Trey's from Screaming with the Ages podcast. Trey, how are you today? I am doing great, guys. It's uh, great to be back here and talking more about physical media. And just like Dave said, it's great to um, to hear that the first episode was received well. And one of these days I will remember to plug it when I'm on other F shows, Nathan, I promise. <laughs> well, it's only just beginning. So, you know, I forget to plug it too. I think I was on land of the creeps and I'm not sure if I remember to plug it, but that was at the end of five hours. So, you know, sue me. Yeah, um, right. I don't, I don't remember to plug anything by the, by the end of the land. <laughs> of the creeps. Yeah, just to plug myself into bed and go to sleep. And that's it. Right. Um, but so I quick question I have to ask Dave about how, like, what are you in the vicinity of in terms of like, DVDs and Blu-rays and all that stuff. Like, do you have like a, I know you catalog all this stuff. Do you have a number? I do. I, I have the DVD profiler and my most recent. Now this also like, this will lay out, this will like, if there's a TV set that has 10 discs, it'll count all 10 yeah. discs of this, even though it's like one title, it'll count all 10 discs. But there's also ones where, you know, it's like a 50 movie set and I have all 50 movies listed. So this is like titles that were lo- right, titles right. we're looking at. No, this is right. discs. This is discs. Um, my, my last one, and this is just a guesstimate because I don't have it up now. And I see my wife sort of walking around here, so I don't want to be too loud. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, 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 it's in the neighborhood of, um, 14,300. 
Oh, man. <laughs> I, I just started using one this week. Now, to be fair, I had taken a break from collecting probably up until this past like year, and I haven't gotten to where most of my collection lies, which is in the big, like, uh, you know, uh, folders uh, that, that hold them with the zippers and stuff, sort of like some of the ones you have right. to eat. But yeah. I was just, I was thinking, oh, I've got a lot. And I was like, oh, I'm up to 650. I'm like, I bet Becker has like about 20,000. <laughs> so I'm yeah. a little high, but much. not that yeah, high. Not, <laughs> not quite that much, but yeah, 14 is. <laughs> That's impressive. Is, 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 is where it is. Um, oh, and that is going back. I mean, it's now, um, it's now 21 years that I've been, uh, that I've been, you've been a pretty faithful, like in terms of you, you know, collecting like straight through, like, right. Yes. Yes. I I have, um, from, from way back. I mean, you know, the, the, the first day I got my DVD player in, in what was the end of May of 2001, I ended up buying two discs and then I ended up going back to the store and buying more. I, I, first two, I think we talked about last time were the mummy and the matrix. And then right after that, I bought Unbreakable in the Sixth Sense. Unbreakable was brand new on uh, on DVD at that time, um, and I and I I think the fifth one I bought was the uh, miniseries Moby Dick, the one pr- uh, produced by um, Francis Ford Coppola, starring Patrick Stewart. As, oh yeah, uh, yeah, as, I remember that. Um, it was like the nineties. Uh, yeah, yeah, as uh, as Ahab, which was such a good. I, I really liked that yeah. version of Moby Dick. I thought that was just just great, and then from that point forward, it was just like I, I bought the kid Shrek, and it had all these special features on it, and we would just spend nights playing uh, the games that were on the special features. Yeah, the I remember they had the karaoke bit on the Shrek. The, on yeah, DVD. the karaoke. Yeah, they yeah. had the the Ask the Mirror. Yes, <laughs> you know, yeah, where? that's fun. That was fun, and that's like right. It's in DVDs. It was like, oh, look at this! What it could do. That a, a quick, a very quick digression about the Moby Dick. That specific one you mentioned. I think it came out in like ninety eight or ninety nine. Yeah, and that was when the movie I, was released. Yeah, yeah. I was working or maybe I'd gone out to something, and I had asked uh, some family members because we didn't. I think we didn't have cable or something at the time, or nobody was home. And I so there were some some family members who knew they were home. I said, could you just put a VHS in and because it's still, we had to do that back then. Right. Right. Uh, to yeah. Put a VHS in and record this off a TV for me. And so later that next weekend, when I'm seeing the relatives, I was like, Oh, did you get Bobby Dick? And, um, you know, whoever it was tells me, says, no, you know, Nathan, I was going to, but they, they must have changed program because I turned the television on and Moby Dick wasn't on. It was about some movie of the guy hunting a whale. And I was like, <laughs> okay all right cool nope didn't say anything about it said, no worries it's a understood i never spoke to him again no i'm just kidding but um uh but yeah that would that's uh, my yeah i think i think that's the funny the funny thing is is that back during the vhs days and we were talking about it earlier how we would record off of cable and we would do it on um there were there were three modes it was sp ep and slp yeah. SLP, where you can get three movies. It was six hours. That stretched the tape out to six hours where you can get three movies on a tape. And I had a lot of videos that when I was recording off of cable, I would do the SLP so I could get three movies on a tape. Well, there was a time where I owned 800 to 900 VHSs. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> you know, and I still have them. As a matter of fact, um, it was what, what was it, 91 when the Gulf War broke out. Yeah. I have the entire Gulf War on video. <laughs> Sorry. I know All of mean. CNN's coverage. And the, there was an episode of a show called Major Dad yeah, I with Gerald McGrady. Yep. 
where that dealt with the Gulf War. I have every I have the entire Gulf War across 15 six hour videotapes. See, now that's crazy because well, the VA, your DVDs and everything, you pack all that up. It's a bit, it's a lot, but like Dave with 800 VHSs is going to look like, you know, uh, the, the, the opening scene of like the grapes of wrath when they have to leave the, when the Joes have to leave their home and they have to pack their car up. This is going to look like you move your VHSs out. I owned, I owned every Star Trek, the next generation on VHS before I bought the entire series on DVD. That's a lot. I had every single one that I had recorded off of TV and I don't want to go into it now, but I actually, there was a, there's a little story about how I sort of hijacked a local UHF station here in Philadelphia um, who were taking votes via email um, to what, what are the best, uh, the, you know, what pick, pick your favorite next generation episodes for us to play. And I looked at my collection and I figured out which ones I didn't have. And I created a series of email accounts. I want to say probably (laughs) 150 to 200 (laughs) fake email accounts to vote for those episodes that I needed. Now I didn't realize it at the time that, you know, that it wasn't as popular. This is in the late nineties to, you know, very late nineties when email is just sort of coming into its own. The movies I voted for ended up being the top films. So I basically programmed this entire UHF channel. Just the so you best get of, these episodes you didn't have. Yeah. And, and the one I picked as number one, I think it was called the Drumhead. Because it was the only one from that season that I didn't have. So probably 80% of the emails that I sent in were for the drumhead. It ended up being the top vote getter. And it's this nothing little episode. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> like nothing little episode. The worst the episode but for some reason. <laughs> it's just a nothing little episode. And it ended up being the number one vote getter. Because of all the fake email accounts that I created <laughs> to vote for this thing. That is a great story. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, we, you know what? I think we may have to have a like VA, VHS sort of like, a, or even a, maybe a segment on this show where we have the retro VHS moment where we talk about yeah. uh, some VHS stuff. We'll have to get some, some guests on too for that. Well, what we're going to do tonight is part of the show that's going to be regular, uh, which is we're going to. Uh, go through the releases. Uh, I'm aiming to get this out every few weeks. So what we'll do is take a look uh, and just go down the release schedule and and sort of read off things for the most part. You know, there might be a couple things I skip uh, and go through the releases and we'll kind of throw and chime in our two cents as we go through. And if there's a little bit of something, if, if one of us has seen something or knows something about it, we can kind of review it. So I'm going to do that part first. We're just going to go through the releases for the next, starting with this week right now. We're at the kind of the end of the week. Uh, we're recording this on a Friday, and it's uh, really the end of the first week of August. And we're going to go through this week and the next two weeks. And we'll, we'll go through that pretty quickly. And then we'll probably just, I'm going to throw it out to all the guys. If anybody's got anything that we want to mention about upcoming disc releases that have been mentioned or any news like that, we'll kind of cover all of that. And then we're going to go in and we each have brought a, uh, a, a relatively new release to review. I think something that's been released within the last three or four weeks. We'll start with that. And what I've done here, and I have this link in the show notes, I've just gone to blu-ray.com, which I think is actually a really 
cool uh, resource. Uh, it, it provides great reviews when you're looking at a specific release, whether it's 4K, it's Blu-ray, or DVD. And they often will take screenshots and also compare. Uh, they'll give a rating for the video quality, the audio quality, the, the quality of special features. And they'll usually pr provide links for all the other versions that are out there that they're aware of. So it's a very good, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think it's a very great resource for being able to check and say, okay, how does this one compare? You know, do I want to get the arrow version of this versus the, you know, because sometimes, I think we talked about this last show, sometimes the Criterion Blu-ray is a better overall experience than the 4k of something that someone just dumped on a disc you know the one the studios dumped right. on a disc right so Absolutely. i find blu-ray.com high digest is another one i think they're a pretty good resource uh for just figuring out what's coming out they often too post like links to where the best deals are you know so if a movie is on sale at amazon they'll usually put that link there with the movie yep but uh, let's go ahead and start with August 2nd, which, is, again, uh, we're at the end of that week. But um, there's a decent amount of releases. I didn't pick up anything this week because I'm still sort of uh, nursing my wallet back to health after the Criterion sale that just <laughs> ended. So that's done now. But as I, we mentioned... Well, I, I, have so, I have so many Criterions, I didn't actually partake in that sale. <laughs> yeah, so you're still good to go. You're it's yeah. like, I got them all. I got yeah. Them. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, I heard uh, David said many times, man, it would just be a great thing to go the Criterion Collection, but I think if we were to go to Dave's house and run through and get the pulled discs out, it'd be just about the same experience. Yeah, that'd be Nathan and I's Criterion yeah. closet. <laughs> it was it was almost like that when I was at your house, Dave, and you had that old the 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 case of the DVDs you didn't need anymore, and I was just pulling them out. Right. And yes, them no, disc. Were, that was pretty you close. Steve, you yes. and Steve just sort of taking. <laughs> yeah, I got some good stuff. Out I was happy cool. you did because I yeah. I got to give these thing away, these things away. So yeah. I know. I'm like, maybe I can go back for a second dip. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. you're welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, all th this week, this first week of August has some really cool releases in it. And I'll go through uh, some of them here. Uh, the big one that I plan to get and I haven't gotten it yet. And I often kind of I try to wait sometimes with sales for these because they tend to be a little pricier. But um, Synapse, which I which when they release a movie and it's usually older films, they uh, they usually do a pretty bang up job. It's pretty well, comprehensive. Yeah. It's a really nice set. But the other thing is they often charge like 40 bucks for it. But when you get it and you get it in your hands, it's like it's a pretty, you know, you don't really feel cheated. You just realize you might have to save up sometimes for it. So the big <laughs> one this week is Dario Argento's Tenebre in 4K. I don't have the yes. Blu-ray. I have Out an actual list. <laughs> They are on my list. I tell you, Synapse does this every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got the I'm a huge Argento fan, so I've got most of these Blu-rays and they've just been like pumping out these 4Ks lately. And I said, no, I got I got Suspiria. I said no to Phenomena. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I love this Tenebra uh, cover because the other ones are kind of very boring. So maybe, maybe they'll get me. There's a lot. There's a lot of special features. I I could sit here and read it, but I had to scroll about twice to get through all of them on this. And it's a nice big. You know, they usually do put a really nice set. The Phenomena uh, set was really really cool. I did get that. It had great yeah. box cover artwork. It has a beautiful. It has the double sided poster in there and everything. And um, and now you might not need all the swag, but the the quality of the transfers on these that I have. And I have Suspiria, and I have. Uh, phenomena from Synapse. I have a few of the uh, ones Arrow released, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Bird, Bird of the Crystal Plumage and Deep Red in 4K, and I think the Cat of Nine, Cat of Nine Tails. In 4K. The Deep Red is probably my favorite. I love the their Deep Red release. Yeah, and because it's, I think what is that? Two discs? It's yeah, I did. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a couple discs. Yeah. Now here's the here's my 
uh, I guess, what do you want to call it? My confession with Argento is I, I saw Suspiria many years ago. I've seen Suspiria a few times. I even got to see Suspiria, the, the, the Argento film in the theater. And that was an awesome experience, but wow. I haven't seen as many. I had seen phenomena as well. I saw back when it was called creepers and I watched it again huh. as mm-hmm. a phenomena and they've got <laughs> all the, cut. yeah, they've got all the cuts on that, on that synapse. Uh, and I think it's the same case with Tenebrae. It's got a lot of different versions, but I have never seen this movie. And when I realized that this, set was coming out i thought you know what let me just hold off give me a good reason to buy the set and then watch the film so this does come with right. the 4k and the blu-ray uh and i can guarantee you it's it's going to be worth it they're demons and demon yeah. demons too was an awesome Absolutely. set yeah nathan mm-hmm. and i'll tell you you've been holding out on this one this is my i go back and forth but i think tenebra is right behind suspiria for me just ahead of deep red i mean i think it is really a really good film and it deconstructs the giallo genre and it's wow. a really i think it was you know he's getting a little bit stale there in the early 80s and i think this kind of kick-started him back into his creativity for a little bit that's really cool um, because i because for me deep red i think deep red is his masterpiece Oh, it's I amazing. Even put film. it just ahead yeah. of of Suspiria. Yeah, I for me Deep right Red now, is... Deep Red and Suspiria are neck and neck. I still, uh, Trey actually sent me a copy of Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I have not watched that one yet. I need to see it as well. And, and Bird with the Crystal Plumage is amazing. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's that's basically the birth of what is the modern what what right. what, what became the Jalo. And what I understand you know, is because this movie was a little bit later. This is the early 80s, right? I think. Yeah. The, Tenebra is uh, 82. Yeah. 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 It had already dried up and it was kind of. So um, he's almost like, yeah. I don't know if he's spoofing, but he's sort of like commenting on the it's, giallo it's at this point. what right? Scream was to slashers okay, pretty much, but without cool. as much wow. like tongue in cheek stuff. So it's the, just. Yeah. Yeah. So this is out now. Uh, I see it. It's on Amazon for about 39 bucks. Again, you often if you hang around and. And Synapse does a sale. You can use again for a little bit cheaper, but they don't. They don't. You know, they're never going to be yeah, like fifteen dollars. Not all of us. Not all of us wait. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no. And I don't <laughs> I know how long I, I'll I, I, wait. I, I, I have to. I have to confess. I didn't wait. Yeah. Why and not? Realistically, I'm going to pay for it once my wife looks at the account <laughs> and sees the forty-two dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, debited from the account. I'm. Uh, um, I'm going to. I'm going to pay dearly. But you know what? I'll have Dario Argento's uh, Tenebrae. The other thing, this cover, <laughs> the cover art here is one of these things where I'm like, I'm, I hope my kids and my wife don't pull this off the shelf too often. I mean, it's we're not talking, there's no exposed breasts or anything, but we have like the rubber gloves killer stuffing the, you know, uh, the, the, the tissue or whatever into the woman's mouth as he's slicing, yeah. slicing her throat. So it's very evocative. The blue yeah, is not much you, better. Yeah, you, you. You, you, the the rubber glove. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. like that. That's like the um, uh, sort of the staple of the genre. Right. right. You have Chekhov's gun, and gloves. you have the. If yeah. You see a rubber glove in scene one. Someone's gonna be wearing it and choking someone out by scene two. Um, <laughs> also out, of, I think a, a pretty um, a notable release this past week was uh, Flatliners. Arrow released a 4K of Flatliners. Yes. It's flat. Excuse me. Arrow released a 4K of Flatliners. This is the 1990 Joel Schumacher film, not the remake from a few years ago, which I did not see. Uh, it's on 4K and it is on Blu-ray. I'm sure this is a pretty cool set. Uh, I'm actually kind of a fan of this movie. I haven't seen it in many, many years. Uh, when I did see it, it was kind of that came out right in that time when we were getting a lot uh, in the that very early 90s we were getting a lot of these kind of like for lack of a better term the sort of spiritual thrillers like i think we had ghost flatliners 
and uh, Jacob's Ladder all in the same year. And if you want to be masochistic, yes. Ghost Dad came out too. But you know we don't talk about that anymore. Uh, oh, that is that the Bill Cosby? Oh, yeah, Christ. yeah, yes, exactly right. Uh, but yeah, so Flatliners. My memory of Flatliners, it was kind of like an extended Twilight Zone episode. I really enjoyed the concept of these characters who uh, defy death, and then they're sort of faced with uh, the sins of their past. But you know, there's no, there's no. The cosmos doesn't decide whether you're going to be held accountable for a small sin or a big sin. So I remember that uh, I think one of the characters, uh, Kevin Bacon's character, who had who had berated a young girl on a bus, is now being berated by that the ghost of that same girl like decades later or something. So, but I, I don't know if you guys remember the movie much. Uh, I. I would be interested to take another look at it. I'm sure it's going to look stunning in 4K. There's a lot of really nice uh, special features on this. Arrow does a bang-up job on these discs pretty much every time out, no matter what the movie is. And a lot of times they'll take movies that, you know, you might not be a huge fan of, and they do enough, uh, you know, they let you see it from so many different angles that you gain sort of an appreciation. And this is a movie I'd be happy to return to at some point. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Uh, and then we have a bunch of, uh, I thought this was interesting, and, and some of these I haven't even seen. We have about three or four Chuck Norris movies sort of dumping onto, uh, onto Blu-ray uh, the, it, this, this week. And uh, we have The Octagon. I have seen The Octagon. Good Guys Wear Black and A Force of One. I don't know if you guys have and any. And that is A Force of One, not Air Force One. Not Air Force One, if I know. No, right. A Force yeah, right. Not the Harrison one. Ford film, yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen... Uh, I haven't seen a force of one and I don't remember good guys wear black. I have seen the octagon. Uh, now I didn't say I remembered it, but I have seen it. So uh, <laughs> those are three titles. And, and if you know, those movies, you probably know whether they're for you or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are not at the top of my list. Uh, no. Also uh, there were the same, uh, the same week though. And I think those are actually Kino Lorber releases. We were, and what I love about Kino is they have a wide swath of things they cover. So uh, yes. they're really good about restoring movies and making them look as good movies that you particularly would not expect to ever see them look good. Uh, they have their great restoration process this week. They're also, they have uh, catch the heat from 1987 is coming out the same. that came out the same week. And then right. um, I think as far as new releases, same movies that haven't previously been out that are coming out, you know, that were just previously either at theaters or they're direct to, to video. There's not a lot, but there's there's a one white elephant, which has a lot of stars. And I know we've heard recently about Bruce Willis uh, and maybe an explanation why Bruce Willis has been in so many of these directed video movies that he isn't doing great health wise. So we're probably starting to see the end of that, but he is in this movie along with Michael Rooker and John Malkovich of all people. And Olga Kurlenko. I'm like, where are all these stars in these directed video movies? And it's called white elephant. Like does a Christmas party go wrong? I don't know what the plot of that film is, but um, I, it's probably a, I'm guessing it's direct to video. And then there's a movie called Cow that I have seen that is a sort of, I guess, cinema verte documentary uh, that is done from the you're following the life of a cow. Although I think that uh, it's not one of these hard hitting uh, exposés, hidden camera kind of deals about, you know, what modern meatpacking is like, although it's more of that than the kind of family friendly movie that that the cover makes it look like, oh, enjoy the life of a cow. But instead, it really sort of uh, it's it's fascinating because it is sort of from the perspective with very little dialogue uh, of 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 what a cow in particularly a milk cow in captivity, what its life is like and what happens to that cow 
when its milk dries up. And the movie really doesn't pull any punches in that way. So it's very interesting. If you're into sort of the Simon Verte uh, documentary style, I would recommend it. Uh, it is on Blu-ray now. It has that kind of high-def camera look. So, you know, uh, I'm not. you're not expecting necessarily an amazing, gorgeous, you're not going to buy this to have this amazing, gorgeous picture. But it's a very intriguing movie. Uh, Dave, I think you would you would probably enjoy this one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it because I used to work for a meatpacking plant. Yeah, there was, so there this, was a nine to ten month period there where I worked for. A, I was a purchasing agent at a meatpacking plant, and um, you know it was uh, the plant I worked at. They used to slaughter fifteen hundred head a day. Wow, wow! I I would like to pick your brain on that at some point. <laughs> but oh, let me tell you, I have I have stories. Uh, <sighs> I have stories. Let's just put it that way. I know uh, we won't get into them now, but I have stories. Yeah. Yeah. We want to get back to that. That might be a horror episode. Right. Uh, yeah. To be continued. Yeah. So there's a couple of the releases. Um, if people are into anime, uh, one piece collection 30 is, came out this week. Uh, I have not seen any of one piece, so I'm not uh, familiar with the anime. One that no, I, they're around, a, I think they're around a thousand episodes now. So, okay. <laughs> that's like a running soap. I think it's like one of the longest running shows in Japan. So, that's amazing. Yeah, well, I know everyone would say, no, it's very popular. Uh, my wife, uh, Speech Village, and a lot of her students talk about watching One Piece and stuff like that. Now, one that's, of course, give it to me. I'm the one who's seen the obscure one. There's a disc that's coming out uh, from a, a rather condensed anime, so all of the episodes are there. It's called Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water. It came out in 1991. And I think last episode I mentioned that um, my friends took me to an anime convention, and I just found the live action room as soon as I could. Well, in the hours before I found that live action room, when I wasn't aware that they were showing live action films, I did sit down and watch an anime called Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water. The reason I did this is because the style of the animation, the look of it, and the story were very reminiscent of Hayao Miyazaki and sort of Studio uh, Ghibli. And it is a sort of steampunk story that is very similar, I think, to something like Lapita, The Castle in the Clouds. And... This uh, deals with, it's 1889, it's steampunk Paris, and you've got lots of uh, the steampunk fantasy elements you'd expect. It's a, it is a family-friendly adventure story, so you're not getting anything that's too intense. But if you wanted to see the sorts of stories that Miyazaki was doing in the 80s, and sort of expanded so we get to spend a little bit more time with the characters, I'd highly recommend Nadia's Secret of Blue Water. I haven't seen it in a long time, nice. but I do think that if you're someone who wants to get maybe your kids are interested in anime, but you don't want, you don't know where to, you know, it, it's a crapshoot sometimes. You don't want to throw them into waters they're not ready for, and no pun intended. But Nadia's Secret of the Blue Water, <laughs> I think, is one that you can kind of, if, if your kids have experienced uh, any Miyazaki, this will be perfect for them. And it tells uh, it tells a more comp a complex story only because there are more episodes. I think Miyazaki films are already deeply complex, but this allows the characters to grow over you know thirty some episodes as opposed to the two hours that you usually have for a Miyazaki film. Right. Nice. Yep. Um, the other movie of note that I see that's, that came out this past week uh, was Last Days in the Desert. Now, that's a Shout Select release. And if you're not aware of this, this was sort of uh, Ewan McGregor gearing up to play Obi-Wan Kenobi again by playing Jesus Christ out in the desert, right? And uh, <laughs> it's uh, I have seen this film. Have you guys seen this movie? No, I, I have not. I actually... No, I recommend it. It's a very interesting film. It is not. Uh, it is not what I guess we would call a faith-based film in the sense that this is not a, a movie that was 
it's Rodrigo Garcia directed it. Uh, it's got Hugh McGregor, Ty Sheridan is in it, Kieran Hines is in it as well. It's got a great cast, and it is. If you're thinking where is this movie coming from, you're going to be looking at something closer to a Terrence Malick film or or Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. This is not right. a movie made to uh, for church audiences. And in fact, one <laughs> of the most interesting aspects is you McGregor plays Christ in that period of time when he's out in the desert and he's tempted by Satan. When Satan shows up, he's also played by you and McGregor. So wow. that's pretty interesting. And I I do yeah. I didn't think it was a home run. It's a very interesting film. Shout Select always does a great job with their releases. And uh, I, it's a movie I haven't thought. I saw it when I was a critic. I haven't thought about it in a while, but I would be interested in checking it out again. So if you're a, a fan of Art House uh, and you are a fan of movies that, you know, I say it's not faith-based, but it the, the, what you're going to get is a movie that actually kind of takes religion uh, seriously, but also it wants to explore concepts of faith. And uh, for me, that's the kind of movie I prefer. Uh, if you're if you're talking about a movie that's going to tackle faith, let's let's have some interesting uh, uh, thoughts about it. So right. I recommend that. And then there's nothing else. I don't know if you guys are looking at the same list. Do you see anything else you wanted to mention before we move to the well, next? Well, I, I saw that I saw that next week a 4K of Michael Mann's Heat. Yes, yeah, that's next week we're on out. to. Um, yeah, yeah no, I was going to say we can go next week. Go right into that because I don't have anything else. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, uh, Dave. Take it away about Heat, because uh, yeah, no, it's it's one of those movies that um, you know it's it's Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Val Kilmer, where they're yeah. finally together and they have a scene, and I don't I don't know if they're like ever on screen together or if it's just sort of them like there's a scene where they're sitting at a table and they're conversing back and forth, but Heat is one of those fascinating movies. Um, you know, it, it's for me, one of the great crime films Yeah, yeah. of the nineties and maybe all time, you know, because you have Robert De Niro playing this criminal and, and Val Kilmer and, and Tom Sizemore, I'm pretty sure is in this movie. And then you have Al Pacino playing this cop and it's this sort of battle between the two of them, between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Um, where Al Pacino was sort of staking out, trying to find out more about Robert De Niro's character. And then he finds out he's, there's a great scene where Al Pacino is like, they're watching these characters only to find out that they're being watched. Yeah. It's <laughs> by De Niro and the others. It's such a, it, it, for me, you know, when I think of Michael Mann and he made a lot of great movies, he really did. I think Heat might is probably my favorite of all of his films, and he did what The Insider. He did, with yeah, Manhunter. Um, the the yes, and Al Pacino, and yes, and yeah, he did a lot of great movies. But for me, Michael Mann is Heat is always going to be his masterpiece. Yeah, I, I agree, and it is a great cast. There's a lot of people we didn't even mention, and and some some actors usually you know don't always. Uh, get to have roles like this. West Studi is a great role in this film. I think West Studi yeah. is a very underrated and that actor. Shootout in the streets. Yes. That is amazing. It's incredible. It's like perfectly staged. Yeah. This is, comes out in 4K. It's got a kind of regular release with a slip cover and it's coming in a steelbook uh version as well. Uh it is at the top of my list to to pick up next week. Uh and then we have yeah. a couple of other brand new movies 
that are coming out. I'll mention them very quickly. So movies that were previously in theaters and are just now coming out. Uh, now, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I've, my kids have already taken that one in. I think it was on one of the Paramount Plus or one of the streaming things. And as Sonic the Hedgehog movies go, it's not terrible. You know, we had a fun time watching it, but I don't, we have no <laughs> plan to own it. I will say that it's kind of cool. The cover I'm seeing here has been mocked up to look like a Sega Genesis uh, video game cover, which gives me a lot of nostalgia. But the big <laughs> releases I'm kind of looking forward to as far as the brand new movies come is there's Men is finally coming out to uh, yep. to physical media. That I loved that movie. It's probably it's it's likely to make at least my list of best horror of the year. Maybe maybe even more than that. Uh, same is true of Dar- of David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. And if you want to, we're so excited really to see both of these. Say, yeah. 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 Nathan, really we've talked about that back that. and forth, but I've been yeah. waiting for these two. If you <laughs> want a them. messed up evening of, of movies, <laughs> you watch Men and Crimes of the Future, and then you sit back and you say, wow, man, how did this other guy out Cronenberg Cronenberg when it comes to, to uh, weird you know, body horror? <laughs> Tuesday, I'm going to the Red Box. I'm picking them both up. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, man, be prepared. That's all I'm saying. Be prepared. Don't eat a sandwich and uh, or a meat sandwich anyway. But anyway, um, so those are the new releases. I'm excited about all of those. I'm going to have to sort of you know, men might be the one I pick up first, but um, I love big, big Alex Garland fan, but a big Cronenberg fan too. And I, and both movies are very much uh, worth having uh, a movie that I actually uh, pre-ordered and actually already have. So I will give a very mini quick review of it is 4K's release uh, the 4K release of Event Horizon. I that have. Cover looks beautiful. Yes. I, yeah. Well, it's cool because there's a slip cover and these has these grasping hands and the actual like steelbook of the, of the uh, discs is this eye, but the internal part of the eye is that that uh, drive that runs the ship that allows the ship right. to yeah. cross the black holes. And I was just at the theater watching Thor, and they they had a they had a pretty funny uh, Event Horizon reference where Natalie Portman is asked about what's a black hole like, and she repeats the paper bit from Event Horizon and then tells him, "Go home and watch Event Horizon." <laughs> wow. I was, you know, and so I think that shows though that this movie that when it came out that was sort of like. I think seen as a disappointment and I'll be the first to say, I saw this movie in a theater in the summer of 97. That was almost like a re uh, a rebirth for sci-fi that year. There were so many great sci-fi movies. Even that summer you had the fifth element contact and men in black had all already come out. Mimic had come or mimic was out about the same time as this. And I saw this one last and I was a little disappointed because it skewed more horror at the time. And I felt like maybe I had seen it before, but over the years, uh, this movie has grown in my esteem. I appreciate it more kind of so, uh, squarely. in the, It is sci-fi, but more squarely, yeah. and I think in the horror genre where it really resides, this is like a haunted house in space. I think that mm-hmm. it's kind of, I, it, 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 to me, it's absolutely Paul W.S. Anderson's best movie. I think yes. it's, uh, he, he, the command of his style in this movie is very strong. I think in some of his other movies, his movies are all sort of style, and there's no, uh, here there is some substance. I like these characters. I like kind of, uh, what happens to them is horrifying, but I like that. And 4K, this movie looks stunning. I don't have the Shout Factory or Scream Factory release from a few years ago that was, I'm sure, amazing. But it's got some really good features here. A lot of the same features have been ported over. This is, I think, all the special features are the same as Paramount's 2008 release of this movie. But the 4K, it looks great. And the only thing that hasn't aged great is the CGI. But it's funny, a lot of the horror imaginative stuff isn't done in CGI. It's just scenes where they want to show like a sunglasses floating in a in in zero gravity they've decided or a a wristwatch you know so it looks a little um you know fake but other than that i think this is a movie that's really only gotten better with time and this is a Uh great release of it 
I, I agree. And I, I think Paul uh, W, you know, it's funny because you have Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, you can't <laughs> confuse these two. You, you can't confuse the two. Yeah, they make very different films from Paul W.S. Anderson to yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Or, and Wes Anderson as well. Yeah, there's a lot of Anderson filmmakers out there, aren't there? They popped up around uh, the same but, time, too. Yeah, right. And, but Paul W.S. Anderson, I think. For me, Event Horizon is my favorite of his films. And he did some good uh, Resident Evil movies. You know, it's funny because the Resident Evil series is one I think gets better as it progresses. As the movies sort of like get later in, you know, when you have um, Apocalypse and then... Oh God! What was the one set in the desert? Extinction, I think. Which, yeah. which I think yeah, that one was extinction. actually directed by Russell Mulcahy, who did like the uh, Highlander in the Shadow. But then oh, it went okay. back to Anderson. I think that was it the only one. That Anderson, was directed. some of the later ones, and they get better. You know, he he's a director who I think was sort of hit his stride, or at least as far as like critically hit his stride with some of the later Resident Evil, and I think that um, Event Horizon didn't get the respect it deserved. No, right. But this is a damn scary film with a lot of good, like a lot of fun performances. I think you have Lawrence Fishburne here. You have Sam Neill in here. Sam Neill, Sam Neill, right? You have a lot of, a lot of really strong performances in this movie. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cool movie. And one of the things I loved is that this came out the same summer as Contact. I remember that the device in Contact that is meant to send people off into the far reaches space looks sort of like the 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 engine that runs the ship in event horizon i thought well that's a neat fun little piece very of interesting right? yeah now on the not i don't you know not to cast aspersions but maybe on the lower end of space horror we also have the i guess the uh, ultimate director's cut of doom not <laughs> dune but wow. doom 4k with the rock in it and carl urban and um it's not um I was not a fan of this. I saw it one no, time. I uh, didn't, didn't really get into it. But if you're a fan of Doom, it's out there. Um, and I'm a fan more of its cast. I think Carl Urban. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, and Rosamund Pike Urban is in this film, played, too. I'm a played big fan. Dread. Yes. Played Dread in that early, what was it, in the 2010s? In the 2012, early 20- I think. 2012, yeah. 2012, yeah. He played Dread. Come on. Why do we not have a sequel to that? Absolutely. That that was a good movie. It was I, the raid I, I, before the or like right before the raid, maybe. That movie the raid came out. It's yeah, it was. I think movie. it was right before that. Yeah. Yep. But that movie Dread, that should have had a sequel. That should have been a series. And I yep. think now it would have been. That's kind of the thing, right? Like uh, like it would have yeah, probably been timing. an HBO or something like that. Uh, well yeah. before they start, you know, start shelving movies. But anyway, uh Rosamund Pike was in this too, the same year that she was in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so oh, wow. um the, yeah. Uh so there, there's that. There, we also have the Green Planet 4K. That's not Save the Green Planet, which I talked about on LOTC, but the Green yes. Planet, which is a documentary, so stunning, beautiful documentary. Uh, we've got a few other titles here. I'll just kind of run through and mention. Um, there is, uh, it looks like an old 1961 movie, Battle of the Worlds, that I'm not actually familiar with, but I will make myself familiar with it. Um, Flying Guillotine 2 from 1978 is nice. also uh, coming out. We've got a couple of other movies. State of Grace is getting a Blu-ray re- release. Uh, and um, let's see, anything else that's Equus also, you know, um, I from 1977. A couple things yeah. if you didn't, Nathan. Yeah, go for it, man. So I haven't seen either of these, but um, there was Yellow Brick Road, it looks like, is getting a release on Blu-ray. I'm a fan uh, of that I've movie. always been curious about that one. I really um, like that movie. Yeah, 
And then we've got something from it was funny. We were just talking about SRS releasing that did uh, that put out Zilla foot um, Nathan <laughs> or SRS cinema. Sorry. Yeah. Have you seen the um, it's the Rigo Riga and Oga giant monsters attack triple feature. Have you seen any of those? Because I've been curious about those. But... I have not. I think and I if I don't want to cat. I don't want to um, slander Don here, but I think Don Don Nelly I know has seen them and I think he enjoys them. So I don't want to, okay. if, he, if he didn't like him, I don't know. I haven't looked up on his letterbox, but I know Don has talked about him in the past. So our buddy Don and Ellie, okay. he's always sort of posting our podcast yeah. out there. He's seen him. He'd be the guy to talk to about these. Yeah, because I know the the latter two seem like traditional kaiju movies. Raigo is like Raigo versus uh, space. I don't know if it's space battleship Yamato or just battleship Yamato. There's a big difference there. Oh, wow. Yes, um, there but are. <laughs> anyway, that's a. That's a that's a tangent, but I just wanted to. I was curious if you guys had seen those. No, I'm not. And there, there's a, definitely a lot of anime that's releasing. I think this week, uh, uh, stuff that I'm not um, that familiar with. But uh, yeah, none of it stands out. Um, Yashihime yeah. is a sequel to Inuyasha. If you two would remember the long running show yeah. that went back. So that's a sequel series to that. But other than that, nothing of really note for me. There's a film looks like live action called Psycho Gothic Lolita. Uh, from 2010. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I wonder if Dave may have. So <laughs> I, I have not, but there is one coming out. There is one coming out from 1971 called Made in Sweden. I saw that. I guess I should have given it. That I did watch that has the the stunning Christina Lindbergh. Very cool. Very who cool. It, I go back and forth between Christina Lindbergh and Edwidja Fenich mm-hmm. <laughs> as to who which one is the is the most beautiful. That would be oh, safe those. to say this looking at this, this doesn't look like it's a um uh you know, a this isn't a right, yeah. Not giallo <laughs> no, no, doesn't it, look it, like dra- it's, a, it's it's a drama romance. Okay. I've seen made in Sweden. <laughs> I have seen it. Um and has it has Christina Lindbergh in it, and Christina Lindbergh basically, you know, in all of in most of the movies she's in, she spends maybe fifty percent of the time actually dressed. That's what I was say. It didn't look like a Merchant Ivory film, is what I was trying to say. It looks like no, potentially yeah, it's soft not, corn. It's, it's definitely not. Yes, yeah, so sort of soft core <laughs> with um, you know, and she and and that's a lot of what she did. She was in um, uh, I think Christina Lindbergh is probably maybe best known to genre fans for uh, they call her One Eye. Oh yeah, okay. I I film I've seen. You know, yeah, she she played the, she played the the lead character in that film. Uh, but she was in. Uh, uh, she was also in Sex and Fury. Yes, I've seen that uh, one from the well. early seventies. And uh, for me, she's just. I, for me, she is the most stunning actress that I've ever seen. Just a little bit ahead of Edwidja Fenich. <laughs> well, on Blu-ray now, made in Sweden. So. And on Blu-ray, yeah. And, and right under that, do you guys see the two films together? The uh, Charles Band film there with a famous TNA two right next to L.A. AIDS Jabber. I was I I, I kind of <laughs> both the, I was fighting with myself to mention it or not to mention it, but there is a film from 1994 called L.A. AIDS Jabber, and I had to keep reading in my head because I was like, "Wait, is this an Indian film?" And I put all the words together and realized what I was reading. So yes, uh, <laughs> and I looked at the poster, which gave me some. <laughs> some context but it is a it is a film that could have only been and probably shouldn't have been made in the 1990s made in 1994 <laughs> yeah yeah um the so there are there are other uh movies uh trials of oscar wilde there's a uh death by temptation a 90s uh mm-hmm. vampire movie with a uh that i remember uh, seeing i don't remember too much about it but i'd be up for seeing again a movie that i really enjoyed 
that I saw at Sundance this previous year. And uh, so that would be back in the, the, the falls just coming out. And it, I guess it maybe had a short theatrical run, but sci-fi fans uh, listen up sci-fi musical fans. Uh, you know, you, you've, you may have heard or not heard of the term sort of Afrofuturism. And if you're familiar with that, Neptune Frost is a very cool movie. Uh, you have an intersex African hacker, uh, Colt and Miner and a virtual Marvel born as the result of their union. So this is a film that takes place on several different sort of uh, worlds, but it's done in a way that's very stunning to look at because it almost imagine you're seeing like a Cirque du Soleil show uh, with, with, with sets. They're clearly very artificial and performers that, uh, and yet it's kind of a musical and yet it is telling a sort of cyberpunk uh, story at the heart of it, an actual legit science fiction movie done in this very sort of um, uh, avant-garde style. So I, it's it's a movie that won't be for everyone, but I think if you're someone who uh, is always on the lookout for something new, Neptune Frost, it's a good movie, it's a good story, and it's sandwiched in the middle of this very intriguing style that I just wasn't as familiar with that entire world, and uh, it's a neat movie. So I recommend Neptune Frost. It's a Kino Lorber release. It comes out next week. Cool. Nice. Awesome. Uh, so let's <laughs> and, and just real quick, on, and on August 16th, you have Child's Play 1, 2, 3. 1, 2, and 3 coming out on 4K. Are arguably yeah. probably the best Child's Play movies, well, I guess. I yeah. would agree, and I don't have... I think I've got one on like one of those four packs from universal yeah. or mgm or something like that and i don't have two and three so i'm tempted by those and for all of you fans also coming out on august 16th according to blu-ray.com black phone yeah yeah the black phone i the still have not phone, seen the black 2022 phone. film yeah it's one of my favorites of the year i loved it it's surprising nice. i still and haven't seen it yet and i've been meaning to and i have the amc pass and it's actually you can run it now but i we're so close now to the release that i will pick this one up uh i will and, too i think we're going to pick it up and just as a just as a personal uh you know it, I, I, it's just something i'm really looking kind of looking forward to also august 16th a couple weeks from now uh dan Aykroyd and coneheads Yes, I love the Conan. From 1993 is coming out on Blu-ray. It stuck me because I've been wanting to show this one to my kids for a bit, and I was waiting for like a decent, you know, it's like, oh, I have it on DVD. You're right. It's not a great copy. And, uh, Dan yeah. Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, the, the, the like, sort of reuniting from the early days of SNL. Uh, so I'm, anx I'm anxious to pick this one up as well. So in a movie that used to be pure fantasy and now be too close to comfort, Red Dawn is now coming on 4K. Yes. And so you'll have that. So uh, I, I saw that when I saw that for others. I saw that opening weekend in 84. Yes. And somehow it I, was, I, was more the, I was at the Jersey Shore. I, yeah, I was at the Jersey Shore and it was in a theater <laughs> that was way too big. It's like it was long and it had the smallest screen I'd ever seen. And my father always made us sit in the back. So I, we sat in the back of the theater and the screen was so small and the theater was so long that I couldn't tell what the hell was going on. <laughs> when they, when, whenever it was a wide shot of the characters, I didn't know who was in the shot. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was something. It wasn't until I saw it years later on cable that I finally sort of put it all together. Here's but I'm a big of fan movie. of Red Dawn. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a movie of its time, but it's a very fun movie. I'm sort yeah. of stunned by this. Like, who was clamoring for this? But Johnny Mnemonic 
in black and white. So certainly I think Keanu <laughs> Reeves. Cinematic in black and white. Wow. Right. Hey, think of all the people who haven't seen that movie in color, but um, which is what it was shot in. <laughs> but Johnny Mnemonic is a movie that I was excited when it came out because it was sort of uh, William Gibson was involved in it. And he had mm-hmm. written the short story that was based off of William Gibson being sort of the the father of cyberpunk in a sense. And uh, it was, you know, it's so funny because everyone was like, here's Keanu Reeves. He's going to be in a cyberpunk movie about virtual reality and it's going to be awesome. And it just did it. It wasn't. And then, you know, <laughs> a few years later we have the matrix and then, you know, Keanu Reeves is forever sort of linked to that sort of world. But this movie right. came first. I have not seen it in years. I remember Dolph Lundgren among other people being in it, playing a street preacher, uh, a, a, a crazed killer street preacher. Of course there were, um, uh, intelligent virtual reality dolphins that sort of communed with him at some point. So I have no <laughs> idea if black and white makes this film better or what the thinking is behind it, but you know what? Uh, I'm up for re- checking out nineties cyber thrillers. I remember Johnny mnemonic, the net uh, virtuosity hackers and a whole bunch of movies came out the same summer, yeah. all warning us about the dangers of uh, the internet. Uh, nice. The Safety Brothers, Daddy Long Legs, when they're early. Daddy Long on Criterion. Yes, on Criterion. That's a Criterion. I'm really release. impressed. Yes. They brought Uncut Gems to Criterion just right after it came out. So I'm excited about that and the Safety Brothers. And if you want to see a great uh, uh, segment of the Criterion Closet, watching the Safety Brothers, who carry something like 200 movies between the two of them, I think, out of that wow. Criterion Closet. And the one brother is piling more on top. And you're going to have to take some, you know? <laughs> so that, that's a, that's funny because most, most people who go in there, they're sort of afraid no these guys aren't that's yeah people modest you'll see some of the like (laughs) uh, i think agnes varda was like i i don't want to get greedy she's got like two in her hand these guys most of them say yeah i'm gonna stop here i don't want to take too many i'm gonna gonna stop here let me tell you something if i walked in that closet it would i would just be like piling them into a bag and i just walk out i think well and then 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 these guys are like look at this look at what we did (laughs) dragging it out of there uh it's it's right next to terry gilliam just dumping those big box sets in the back uh, heavy Metal on 4K coming yes, out. Yes, Heavy Metal um, on 4K is coming out. Yes, yes which is I a movie that. that we still have to review on the Illustrated Fan, uh, which is coming back yes. very soon. I Dave, and I, and on Blu-ray, Electroglide yes, and Blue. That's exactly what I was about to say, Dave. I know that you and I will be kinder spirits on this. Is the this is probably the oh, top of yeah. my list for this week is Electric Glide in Blue. Th- there were a group of films that there were three films that I looked at as the motorized West. You know, <laughs> where they were westerns, but but it was like on on uh, bikes or cars. We're dealing, you're dealing, you're talking Easy Rider, yeah, from 60, 69, uh, Vanishing Point, yes, yeah, yeah. I want to say seventy one and Electric Light and Blue. Yes. For me, those are the three motorized westerns, and this has Robert Blake in it as this sort of. Um, he plays a he plays a. Um, uh, w- what is it? He's like a, he's like a motorcycle. Uh, he's like a cop. Yeah, he, he's basically Mad Max on a motorcycle, kind of. Right. He's, he's not right. futuristic, and but yeah. No, and he's way too idealistic. Yes. You know, and and things happen to him as as this as the movie plays out, and he sort of uh, uh, loses some of that idealism. But Electric Light and Blue is a great movie. It, it is, really yeah. is. I loved it, and it's shot in Monument Valley. Yeah, the visually, where, where John Ford shot a lot of his great westerns. So yeah, it's also a Kino Lorber release. And when I say Mad Max, I'm thinking Mad Max Rockatansky at the beginning of the original Mad Max movie. Not, the first not, Mad not, Max, not, yes. not, not, not Rockatansky at the beginning of Road Warrior. 
or any right. of the other no, movies. No, no, you're talking the yeah, first yeah. one, and I agree with you. Yeah. I think that's that that fits Electro Guy in Blue closer. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm adding that one to the list then. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely try. I'd love yeah, to he, hear what you Kino think about Lorber it. I think it's a great movie on that one. Yeah, and uh, so I'm looking through here, and anything else stand out? I had a couple. Um, yeah, go ahead. I had a couple. There's a couple of good. And I'm you probably going to defer to me was we go through these segments as like the uh, anime person. But um, anyway, the first season of Welcome to Demon School Rumakun is coming out, which is a pretty good, um, you know, human trapped in a demon school kind of comedy um, action series. And then uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Seed, which came out in the early 2000s. And yes. that was kind of the turning point when Gundam was starting to pick back up after a little bit of a lull. And Gundam Seed is excellent. It it's is good. I have seen this one. Very favorite mecha anime that there's been. So very definitely cool. worth it. Those are always pricey because there's like 50 episodes yes. or something in there. But yeah, so, uh, I'm looking that's all I have. Kino Lorber also has Samson and the Seven Miracles, which is definitely going back to their schlock sort of releases. And uh, Stalag 17, I want to mention on Blu-ray. Oh, Stalag 17. So. That might be my favorite Billy Wilder film, and that's saying a lot because Billy Wilder made a lot of great movies yes. for a long stretch of time there. You know, with um, uh, a Witness for the Prosecution and Double Indemnity. Some Like It Hot. And even um, Some Like It Hot and going back to like The Fortune Cookie. Yeah, yeah. Which was one of the first, te- I think it might have been the first teaming of of. Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. He's the apartment too, right? Billy Wilder. And the, the yeah, he yeah. did the apartment in 1960, was was yeah. which was another Jack Lemon movie. Um, and even going up to like, I'm a fan of uh, the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, which is yeah, one of his too. later yeah. films. You know, one one of Billy Wilder's later movies. I like that one as well. Uh, the Spirit of St. Louis with uh, with Jimmy Stewart. He made a lot of great films. Stalag 17 might be my favorite Billy Wilder film. I think it's great. And it's, it's sort of like inspired. I don't know if it inspired, but when you see Hogan's heroes from the sixties, yeah, it's almost like a, a, a TV sitcom version in a way of Stalag 17. It's different. It's <laughs> definitely different, you know, with what they're doing in, in Hogan's heroes, but Stalag 17, you could see the influence of Stalag 17 on Hogan's heroes. When you watch that TV show. Yeah, I agree. And then the guy, so that's all I have. These are the first three weeks. Lots of great releases coming out. I think, too, uh, to go back, uh, the covers of those uh, Scream Factory Child's Play movies, they look really cool. Oh, yeah. They do. Yeah. They do look really And I do not have them on. Uh, my daughter wanted to be Chucky. And actually, she was a very convincing Chucky last Halloween. And uh, <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if I sent you the pictures today, but I need to if I haven't. But uh, Oh, yeah. I, 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 definitely, I definitely want to see them because my son – came to me when he was like 12 years old and he wanted to see the Chucky movies. So I was like, you know what? I think we'll be okay until we get to Seed of Chucky. Yeah. Once we get yeah. to Seed of Chucky, maybe I think Bride I'm going to have to pull in the reins. I don't really even like Bride of Chucky. Yeah. It's yeah. A little- even Bride of Chucky was pushing the envelope. But yeah. when we got to Seed of Chucky, I had to yeah. say, no, nah, we're going to have to wait on this one a little yeah, bit. My, my daughter's only a year or two younger than that. But Child's Play, we did the original Child's Play, which is actually pretty um, tame, you know, uh, it really, yeah. you yeah. get the language and a little bit of stabbing, but it's much more like a Twilight Zone episode, right? Like you know the way the first three really yeah. are, right? If yeah. I, I think, right? I think, yeah, the first three uh, Child's Play films, as far as I'm concerned, are the best. 
Okay, and on about the same. That's good to know um, because I was thinking, I was taking, I was like, okay, a couple weeks are coming out, so I think I'll get the first three and show them two and three um, along with, because I've seen the first one. So very cool. Okay, so, and yeah. Yeah, two and three yeah. are good. So anyone who's listening, if you if there's some releases here we didn't mention that you want to, uh, you want to uh, let us. Yeah, uh, I had something know. real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. If I could go to Yeah, this was, and we had talked about this a little bit, but Arrow had their Arrow Fest, and real quick, they announced their October lineup, which is um, Gothic Fantastico, which is a collection of four very obscure um, Italian Gothic movies. Wow. Um, and then they're doing Count Yorgo, which I know you're excited about. And, Count Yorgo um, Vampire, yes, the first yeah, one. I'm, wow. Yeah. Nice. The whole set, and right? I think. Yeah, it's the whole set. Yeah. Yep. And then they're doing one called Two Witches, which I know I had heard. I think Amanda Lee had recommended. Yes, I meant to see it. I didn't get a chance festival. to, but she saw it at like the same film festival. I missed it. So I haven't seen any of those, but that's a really um, tempting lineup for October. And that's all I had. Sorry. Arrow just sent me an email reminding me about that. So I figured that was fate to to mention No, no. And and for sure. And there are some good stuff coming out. And I saw that I think Severin has something coming up, the Psychotic Women box set or something as well. That's, uh, some pr- again, some pretty obscure films. I'll have to put a link in the show notes. Uh, something that is, um, Dawn of the Discs is always a cool, uh, if you haven't subscribed to that on Facebook, they're always putting some information about whatever's coming up. And we've got a pretty big packed month come up when we get to October as far as releases. I mean, we have like yeah. a special, finally, uh, Fright Night coming to 4K with a lot of special features. We got Poltergeist finally coming to 4K and some really great uh-huh. artwork for those. Uh, I was really, I sent the pictures to you guys this week of the artwork for The Lost Boys. That um, yes. that the Lost Boys uh, special edition that's coming out, and it's, it's really cool. It is. It's it's actually much cool. I Lost Boys is a movie I love, but I always thought that the cover art for that, the poster art for that, never didn't do it any favors. I mean, it looked yeah. like looks like you were yeah, watching others or or the you know the the commitments or something. You know, it doesn't look right. like it looks like a punk movie. It doesn't look like yeah. a vampire movie. And this takes that scene where they're hanging from the bridge. And it just like there's a lot of vast space, and you see those guys, the silhouette yes. of the bridge, and the vampires hang from the you know, like bat. Beautiful imagery, kind of evokes the Peter Pan idea and everything. It looks great. So um, right. excited about that. And, they have Lost Boys, and, and I have great. I have Poltergeist. I have Poltergeist on Blu-ray, but yeah. I might pick up the 4K. That's a movie. It's one of my like top movies. It's like some of those Spielberg yeah, it's, films. It's one of mine. It's Jaws. It's one of mine as well. I I, yeah. I saw it in the I saw it in the theater in '82. I love Poltergeist. I've owned it. You know, it was the, it's the very first movie I ever owned because it's the very first movie I ever recorded off of cable TV. Yeah. That's very cool. So that's the, it's the first movie I ever owned and I've had it on DVD. I've had it on Blu-ray and I think I'm going to have to pick it up on 4k when it comes out. I have the Blu-ray digibook of Poltergeist and I think I'm going to have to pick it up on 4k as well. Criterion's dropping a lot of cool stuff in October as well, including they're going to have Lost Highway. They have the 4K of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, well, yes, yeah. The four I I already bought the Blu-ray, so I can't go back to the well on. That I'm not going. I'm not. You know what? <laughs> there have been so many shitty releases. Yes. Of Night of the Living Dead, and I have the Blu-ray from Criterion. I'm not going to upgrade to the 4K unless there's like a ton of extra special features. That Blu-ray looks stunning, by the way. Like The Blu-ray looks amazing, amazing. and I love that Criterion did this because this is basically a public domain film. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, they did a great job with it. But Criterion's releasing Lost Highway on 4K. Wow. um, With with, uh, 
David Lynch overseeing the release because I know he wasn't really happy with the release that Kino Lorber put out. I didn't get that. No, one. he David Lynch, and it's funny. David Lynch does not allow chapters. Yeah, yeah. He's. Have he's, you noticed that? Yeah. I, I saw what was it? The Straight Story and the original DVD for Mulholland Drive. There are no chapters. I think that might have been corrected, but I can't remember now. You know. No. Well, what David Lynch said, he didn't believe in chapters. It's, it's, he didn't yeah. believe in watching a movie in chapters. He says you watch it from start to finish. So he didn't want chapters in there. I don't know, and you know, maybe they he just got overruled. You know, as yeah. time went on, I'm going back too twenty is, man, years. If you're here. watching a David Lynch movie, you might be, um, you know, I love him. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. But I could see yeah. someone being like, "Let me skip ahead. This is making less and less sense. I'm just keep hitting the button." Um, <laughs> and you could probably skip three chapters in David Lynch film and not have the same experience, but have a similarly bizarre experience, and it wouldn't right. maybe be it wouldn't be uh, coherently different. But anyway. Right, so, and, and I think I think Mulholland Drive. What I'm is, excited about, know, yeah. Eve's Bayou, is coming out. I'm a big fan of that film. Oh, uh, nice. The Cassie Lemons movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's a very good movie. Came out in 1997. It had a magical realist quality to it. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is in that film as well. Wow. So, uh, and, I saw and, it was making it rounds on streaming, so I assumed someone was going to release yeah. it. Yeah, have you guys seen it? It's a great I film. Haven't. I, I have not. No, it was Roger not. Ebert's number one movie in 1997. And that's why I picked wow. it up and watched it. And it is, if you were a fan of movies like Night of the Hunter and these movies that from a, a, a child's perspective, but an adult film, you know, uh, I highly recommend Eve's Bayou. So I'm looking forward nice. to picking that one up. Oh, um, I do like that subject matter so yeah yeah yeah, yeah me too she, me too she, i think none of the, i think none of the hunter is a masterpiece yes cassie lemons went on to make a caveman's valentine with samuel jackson as well and uh which is wow. also a very interesting movie but i think this is this is a a really great film so, also kiyoshi kurosawa not uh related to uh you know obviously akira kurosawa but uh made made a lot of a uh, horror films makes horror films but not just horror films but made several of them in the early 2000s uh at late 90s and early 2000s uh one that many that people may have seen called pulse uh that yes. a very very creepy film was remade uh, creep the shit out of me super i mean the trailer creeped the hell out of me yeah if you if you've seen the ring and all those films already but you haven't seen pulse of cairo i think is Jap- the japanese version yes yep, and right. it yep. is uh it's it's a it's a horror film about mo- uh, at that point modern technology and depression and it is yeah. uh, it's melancholy and disturbing and scary in, in, in kind of simultaneously so but the, the move the film coming out that Criterion is releasing is Cure which is also a creepy uh, film mm. that his his movie sort of dovetail between horror and science fiction a little bit so I lots, haven't seen that one it's good I, I would not recommend either. it Arsenic and Old Lace that's the other film they're coming they're bringing to four from the forties yep yep. So oh, that's nice. like for I'm like, oh, which yeah. well, okay, just take my money. But uh thankfully their next big sales in November, so I won't buy any of those movies <laughs> in October. <laughs> I will wait a month and I'll buy all the, the Scream Factory movies in October. So, I think I I love Arsenic and Old Lace. You know, even the, even if even though Cary Grant goes over the top. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, it's in a great film. film. And it, the 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 venue is right for him to go over the top, in my opinion. It does. Film. It, it yeah. works with with what's happening in the yeah. movie. It works with him going over the top for sure. You know, yeah. he was not happy with his performance in that film. He said, "Well, I just I went too I went too far. I went too far with my characterization in that film." Mm-hmm. But it works. I know a lot for of people me, that remember works. him mostly. For that movie, if you say name a Cary Grant movie, they're going to name Arsenic and Old Lace. So yeah, and, and I think I think it was great, and I think yeah, it was awesome. It's, it's a great. I'm definitely going to pick that one up as well. Okay, and you know, uh, even though 
at this current point, anyone who's listening, this is going to be seamless, but this is uh, Trey and I a few weeks after we recorded this. Dave is on vacation, but we did want to go ahead and include the last two weeks of August uh, and talk about the releases there so that we've covered the entire month. And we'll probably do this monthly, uh, just covering all the releases for a month and what's coming out. And we have a few more mentions that we have in terms of movies that have been announced since we did this initial recording. So, uh, Trey, you want to take it away? Anything? What do you see coming up for this uh, next to last week of August, this week of the 20th? Um, uh, anything catch your eye? Yeah, I'm looking here. Um, I mean, for me particularly, I you know, I'm first going to the Amityville double feature down at the bottom. But <laughs> 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 no, um, I think... Uh, so I think Dog Soldiers is going to be a big one for people. I don't know how you feel about that one, Nathan. I'm so so on Dog Soldiers. But a, looks, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it looks like we are getting a 4K of that one. Yeah, and it's one of the movies on my list. I do really enjoy Dog Soldiers. It is a movie that I uh, I actually don't already own, so I probably will pick it up at some point. I don't know because of the number of releases I've been picking up lately if I will, but I do enjoy it. I like the werewolf designs. It's a movie that I don't know that 4K is going to make look extra stunning. You no. know, it's got a yeah. kind of very low budget. It was Neil Marshall's early film. If this were The Descent in 4K, I'd be all over it. I do love werewolf movies. I probably will pick this one up in time. I don't know if I'll pick it up in time for Halloween because of how many October releases are coming. <laughs> I think you're a fan of this movie. This is probably the way to see it because it's going to be the Scream Factory sort of full-blown. Uh, the artwork on it looks great. It's it's probably going to be a great release. I know that they did a... Uh, the Blu-ray release of it, I didn't don't own that one either, but I uh, saw the specs on it and it looked good. So I think this will be uh, the probably definitive release of this movie at this current time. You know, in terms of uh, here, yeah, U.S. So a movie I'm pretty excited about is uh, Paths of Glory. The Stanley Kubrick film is finally coming to 4K, and I will probably definitely be picking that one up. That will be. Uh, that and there's a couple others, but this is definitely uh, one of the ones on my radar is the uh, Paths of Glory, which again is Kubrick's film with Kirk Douglas. It's a war film, and I don't think it's always brought up as one of the more uh, well known, or I think it's well known among uh, you know film film cinephiles. But uh, I think your average person probably thinks of 2001 or Clockwork Orange or movies like that, The Shining, before they think of Paths of Glory. Yeah, absolutely, and I I don't. I've never seen Passive Glory, so um, it kind of triggered something when you said it was a uh, Kubrick film, like that I remember hearing about it, but I've never seen that one actually. So, yeah, I think I think it'd definitely be a good one to uh, check out, uh, and it's one you kind of can't go wrong with, really. So, yeah, um, anything um, else on your radar? Yeah, well, I see. There's a couple things I wanted to bring up. Um, first of all, are you a fan of um, Fern Gully? I see that it's coming out. Rush Out Factory there. Or have you seen that one? I've seen I've seen Fern Gully. Yeah, yeah. I, it's um the is that early Don 90s. Bluth one? It is a Don Bluth. And I really okay. kind of miss Don Bluth, the Don Bluth uh, studios. I know that Titan AE sort of killed them dead. <laughs> Fox animation. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I really like Titan AE. I was excited when it came out. I really enjoyed it, but it didn't do any good box office. And that sort of was the end of the end there. But Fern is a fun movie. I have fond memories of watching it with my siblings when they're growing up. I remember I think one of my uh, sisters had like a Fern Gully theme, like birthday party or something. But we were those kind of kids. Uh, but it's a it's a fun one. Uh, Robin Williams does the voice of the bat character in that movie, right? And I think Tim yeah. Curry is like the evil smog. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those Don Bluth movies. I feel like oh, in really? such a long time. Well, oh, no, 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 I've no, seen okay. them. 
<laughs> I've seen them. Um, but it's just been so long since I have seen them. Most of them I was, you know, still young when they were when I was watching them. So um yeah, that's one. I do definitely remember the Bat character and Robin Williams being in it, but that might be one. I don't know if I'd pick it up and purchase, but I definitely do want to watch it again sometime. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, I agree. I think it's one that I've just realized talking about this. I've never showed my kids, so it would definitely be on the list for that. Looks like we also have the Tarzan Vault Collection coming out. That's um, from the film detective. That's Tarzan of the Apes, Adventures of Tarzan, and the New Adventures of Tarzan. I'm more familiar. These are the ones from like 19. Are those silent? Are those all silent? Yeah, I believe they are. I haven't seen these films actually. I'd be interested in watching them. I'm more familiar with the Johnny Weissmuller films from more in like the fifties and some of the other Tarzan movies. I probably actually have seen clips of these, but I've never seen them all the way through. So I'd be, I, it's not a high priority for me right now, but I would definitely be interested in checking this one, checking this one out at some point. Yeah, I know you love to dig. You and Dave both are always digging deeper into those older films you haven't seen. So, but that'd be really interesting to see a silent Tarzan movie. Like, I don't, I'm just, you yeah, know, off the top of the head, I'm trying to think of what that would even be. <laughs> well, I think it'd be interesting because in some ways Tarzan, I think is, it, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do because the more talking you have in a Tarzan film, I think the worse your chances are it's going to end up good because uh, the world that Edgar Rice Burroughs created is very visceral and very visual. That I think that's why, uh, regardless of what you think of the story, I think that's why the Disney film was so enticing to me when it came out. Was you got the uh, the feel and the flow of animation uh, on Tarzan, you know, and so you could kind of have more freedom to create the world. I'd be very interested to see silent uh, film Tarzans because then you don't have the guy being like me Tarzan you know that's just oh really, you're not a Brendan really Fraser fan that's what you're saying <laughs> George of the Jungle oh that's George uh, of the Jungle, <laughs> <Sorry>. jungle. <laughs> it, it was supposed to sort of be a spoof of Tarzan so it's okay well you know the, the greatest film of all time Dirty Dancing is coming out in 4k finally um, I'm, I'm just kidding it's one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made in my opinion I just probably turned off a ton of people but never ever understood the love for this movie and then you know but I like Roadhouse, and it's only the other side of that coin. So that's true. Who knows? <laughs> uh, there's a there's a Criterion film that's coming out that I have never seen called Buck and the Preacher, and I'm a, which is a western, and I'm really uh, intrigued by that one from 1972. So, but I've never seen it. Um, you know anything about it, Trey? No, I don't. And that, it's 72. That'd be a later era western there. So that might be an interesting one. Who's? Let me see. I think it's two from Sorry, an African American perspective too. So I think yeah, it's that Sydney Potty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And never, I never even heard of it to be honest. No, I haven't either. So that's definitely one probably uh, worth checking out. And there's some others here. Uh, I am not that interested in suburban Sasquatch, but but <laughs> I am. I am intrigued by this Synapse release of Creature from the Black Lake or Creature from Black Lake which is a 1976 Bigfoot movie, clearly done in that driving grindhouse style that was derived, I'm guessing, from The Legend of Boggy Creek, which I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of. I know Greg Morgan, Land of the Creeps, is a big fan of Bigfoot in general. And he and I were swapping pictures of this back and forth. And I think we had talked with you as well. I The thing that most entices me about this is the cover of this looks like a Hardy Boys mystery 
cover from like it, 19... It's a good cover. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good cover. It looks just like those books I remember as a kid, the Hardy Boys books. And uh, even when they have the additional slipcase, it still looked like a Hardy Boys mystery with these two guys. And there's the shadow of the Sasquatch sort of looming. I For anyone who wants to see this movie and is kind of ambivalent about buying a, you know, 30-some dollar Blu-ray of this potentially cheesy Bigfoot movie, it is on YouTube in a relatively decent quality. I've not watched it yet. I'm setting it aside. Probably will make it part of the... Uh, maybe Halloween run up this year, but I am very intrigued by creature from black Lake and I, it took all of my power not to buy it sight unseen. So if anyone's out there and you are aware of creature from the black Lake and let us know if you think it's good, if it's worth picking up, uh, I am sure if synapse is releasing it, they've done a bang up job on the transfer, which might be good enough reason to buy because some of these uh, cheesy, like it's, it's just amazing to watch these exploitation movies in big, you know, colorful, uh, high def when they were never meant to be seen that way i think yeah yeah it, there's a line there where you can only do so much with a film yeah but um no i you had me intrigued on that one because i didn't know anything about it until you brought it up and that cover alone just has me and i'm always up i'm trying to always find a good sasquatch movie i think a lot of horror fans are and there's so few of them out there yeah, and I and some of these seventy ones, they're not always good, but some of them be very entertaining. And I think that's what I'm looking for with this. A creature from the black, I don't really expect a good Bigfoot, like the creature itself for many of these films. <laughs> I'm expecting a guy in a giant fur coat with a parka wrapped around his head. Yeah. But um they still can be fun. I'm hoping this one's fun. I hope it's one I can watch with my kids too. So uh we've got some other films coming out. Um When Tomorrow Comes from nineteen thirty nine. Uh Death we've got three. Yep, yep. We've got uh, a whole bunch more uh, Chuck, Chuck Norris, Norris. movies. Lo- they're they're really pulling these out of the vault. We have Lone Wolf McQuaid. <laughs> Ma- excuse me, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Yeah, I said it right. The McQuaid. Lone, <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. Lone oh, Wolf McQuaid. I was like, who's putting these out? It's Scorpion. It is Scorpion. Lone Wolf <laughs> McQuaid and the Delta Force. Both I've yeah. seen. Both I barely remember. Uh, yeah, same. Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court uh, is coming out. That's uh, the old. Uh, Film from 1949 with Bing Crosby. That's kind of a fun movie. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's got something. I mean, we're really pulling out the old 80s and 90s action movies here. This is Death Warrant. And then we've got, uh, what else uh, coming out? I, wanted to, I had a couple of things. Have you seen, I see the Star Hunter Redux here. Have you seen the TV series Star Hunter? I haven't. I have not either. Is it a, is it a TV it's, series? Yeah, it looks like it's two seasons of it, and it's from 2000. But oh, I've never the height of great <laughs> TV yeah. science fiction. Yeah, I yeah. There were several coming out around 2000. There was the Gene Roddenberry Andromeda. There were a couple others around this time. Uh, but I am not familiar with Star Hunter, and I don't. I'm pretty sure I never saw it. So okay, okay. Um, and then I see down here, um, the Anime Kingdom season three part one's coming out, and that must be confused with the show on Netflix. Um, but this is a pretty good uh, it was long running in the first couple seasons and it took like, I don't know, eight, nine years for them to put out a third season of this. And uh, it's really good set in like the warring states era. Now, the animations a little bit when you get in these bigger battles, uh, it got better as it went along. But um, that's a very interesting look at like a general during, you know, a foot soldier rising up to uh, the ranks in the warring states era of China. Um. And then Nathan, I had one one I was curious about was Love Camp 7. Um, if I remember right, I think that might be one that uh, was on the video nasties list. So I wonder I see the American flag beside it. So I'm assuming that's only coming out in the US. But 
I'd be curious if that has a UK release or not. Yeah, I have. That is interesting. I have no idea. Um, another movie on the list here, Mr. Malcolm's List, which came out theaters and I just missed it. It was a movie that my wife and I planned to go see. And it looks uh, it's got that um, Victorian period piece setting. Uh, I think what's interesting here, this is Emma Holly Jones is the director and Theo James is a star. You have uh, African-American characters in this film in a world that basically looks like a Jane Austen sort of setting. I have not seen the movie. I've heard good things about it, though. I, it looks like that kind of fun, uh, you know, a lot of these movies are very light and airy and mm-hmm. uh, w- with an undercurrent of thoughtfulness sometimes if you get a good one. And I do, I will admit that these movies are up my alley, even though it may not initially seem that way. I'm a big fan of a lot of the Jane Austen adaptations. Uh, they've adapted so many of these movies so many times. This is not a straight, this is not a Jane Austen adaptation, mind you. It's just a film that seems to be created in that style. So, uh, but I am curious about it. Uh, do you know anything about this one? No, I know nothing about this one. So definitely, um, that is on the, the list to see. My wife and I are uh, intrigued to see that. And then you've got that Amityville. <laughs> Why don't you talk about that Amityville two pack? Very, <laughs> very briefly. But yeah, those are like the. I think those are the later on Amityville films because there's. When I looked it up one time, I think there's like eleven or so official Amityville movies, and the rest were kind of like, you know, let's take Amityville, and let's put it somewhere. So you've got Amityville in space and Amityville in the hood there. Uh, no Amityville Karen, no Amityville Bigfoot or any of those, but I'm sure they're coming. <laughs> we'll go to August 30th. There's a lot of interesting movies. I know here. what's jumping out to you at August 30th. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have, first off, we have another Bigfoot movie with Shriek of the Mutilated from 1974, <laughs> which is actually a little bit of a different sort of Bigfoot movie. I don't want to give anything away with it. Uh, this movie sort of starts as one thing and ends as another. So if you're sort of like a little bit of the Hills Have Eyes with your Bigfoot, film uh and maybe less bigfoot you might enjoy shriek of the mutilated uh miami connection 4k have you seen the miami connection i haven't no it's uh it's one of those so bad it's bad but still kind of good movies and uh (laughs) that are made by a bunch of fledgling filmmakers and actors uh but it is so sincere in its efforts and so inept and everything else that you can't help but smile all the way through the Miami connection. So I don't know if you need this in 4k, but you do need to see this movie at some point. (laughs) So Miami connection. Yes. The cat people 4k 1982 Paul (laughs) Schrader's film that we actually covered. I will put the link in the show notes when Trey and I on Trey's podcast screaming through the ages compared the cat people from 1942, which I'm a huge fan of with the cat people from 1982, which actually going back and watching the film, I'm a big fan of that too. And I yeah. pretty certain that Natasha Kinski is going to look awesome in 4k. <laughs> so, um, but I think we both came out on the side that we liked that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I liked all four of those yeah. movies we were talking about. I think we each did. So, and see any movies, uh, other films? I say a couple, but yeah. I want to give you a chance. Yeah, to yeah, talk. yeah. So um, we've got the Giallo Essentials here from Arrow, another set of those. Uh, this is the black edition. I think they've done like the red and the yellow. Yep. Um, so this one has, I mean, we're getting, we're stretching the word essential. Um, <laughs> we've got, and you can buy all these individually as well. It's just cheaper to buy them as a pack, but you have Smile Before Death, um, the weapon, the hour, and the motive, and I'm what I think is probably the most recognizable of these is the killer reserved nine seats. That's kind of what they do every time as they take one um, 
one more known giallo and put it in with two lesser known ones, which is cool. I mean, they're giving like, um, you know, a platform for you to be like, oh, I like this one. Let's just try out all three of these. So um, those packs are definitely interesting. I usually end up going for like these single purchases of those movies, but um, I don't know if you're interested or if you've seen any of those, Nathan. I have not seen them. I'm always just fascinated by the titles. It's like, oh, yeah. When is it going to be the killer got some popcorn? Then I decided to have another snack. Then he killed somebody, <laughs> you know, as the titles. <laughs> but uh, I am interested because I'm slowly making my I came into the horror uh, fan base, you know, very early on, but mostly through creature features and things like that in universal horror movies. And then even through college, I never quite got to the Giallos. You know, I saw a few. Uh, of Argento's film. So now as I'm in sort of the whole podcasting community and I'm realizing, Hey, that's one area that I am not that well versed in that uh, I'm finding. I'm just, I'm kind of savoring it, you know, going through and, and trying to find the good ones and and watch what I can. I'm still making my way through Argento and Fulci and all of that, but I'm intrigued by these. You never know what you're going to get. You might get a death laid an egg or you might get, you know, deep red. So, but, um, and then while we're on the topic, sorry, Nathan, is that all you had to yeah, add on mm-hmm. that one? So there's a forgotten Gialli, uh, volume five, which that's vinegar syndrome's answer to this. And these are much more, I've never heard of any of these. Um, let's run down these names really quick. A white dress for Mariali. I think is how you pronounce the name, the Tropic of Cancer and nine guests for a crime. So those are I like nine guests for a crime. Is a I, do, I, I do. I <laughs> do. But that's a uh, yeah, that's what we got for that. Um, oh, I was going to say this is an interesting one all about evil, because I think that one was one that came out recently, not too long ago. And it's from 2010. I think it was maybe like a lost or like a, you know, on the shelf film. And it came out to shutter. But now it looks like it's coming out on physical as well. That's cool. Yeah, I saw that one. There's also Faceless. Do you know anything about that? No, but I see a giant needle on the cover. Yeah, it seems like a good sign, maybe, or not a good sign. <laughs> I don't know. You've got Lux Eterna from Gaspar Noe. I've seen this. It's more of a short film. Beatrice Dahl and Charlotte Gainsbourg are in it. Very, very visual. I'm not a big Noe fan, actually. I don't know how you I'm feel not about either. him, no. uh, Trey. But I think people who are interested in art house horror are going to want to see this film. It is... It is visually interesting and it's intriguing. And I, you know, I, I'm sort of very um, picky these days. I just don't watch every one of his films that comes out, but if I've heard good stuff as I'd heard about this, uh, but you know, this one's released by yellow veil pictures. I don't know what kind of release it'll really be. Mm, yeah. Um, and I don't know a lot about them. I'd have a lot of experience. With very bare movies. bones. I believe. Yeah, um, I and I, because it's, it's not even like a big major release. Like it, it wasn't like a theatrical release as far as I'm aware. I don't know how much they would even have to, to, you know, put on, on the disc. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. What else do we have, uh, coming out that I'm interested in this week? newer release, American carnage. I don't know if it'd be any good or not, but, um, it is a 2022 horror film that's coming out. And I think it's a horror comedy. So I think that's fair to say. And it's also, I'm sure, very political because I remember American Carnage, American Carnage. Uh, the term made its way into <laughs> Trump's first presidential speech when oh, he was no. taking office. <laughs> we we're going to stop American Carnage. I but, didn't think about that. Uh, Bell <laughs> in 4K is a really cool anime. If you have HBO mm-hmm. Max, it's on there right now. It is uh, 
it's from the team that brought Summer Wars. I don't know if you saw Summer Wars. That's a very cool movie. This is sort of the Beauty and the Beast story told within the confines of cyberspace. And it's really good. And it is a movie that you can kind of watch with the family. Yeah, I was going to see this one in the theater. I never got out to it. I know it's been on HBO Max, but I've been consumed with <laughs> kaiju watches. So <laughs> yeah. I've got this whole list of stuff I need to get to once I'm done with that. But probably, probably before October, hopefully. And we've got some other things. We have movies that I've never heard of before. Symphony, sim, yeah, excuse me, Symphony for a Massacre. Uh, the mystery, Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women sounds intriguing. <laughs> You've got The Birds uh, 2, Land's End. So Birds 2, Land's End. I am <laughs> astonished that it's getting any kind of major release. I'm sure <laughs> anyone who like, any anyone who's buying this is going to be paid too much for it. As a, It was a Showtime a, a, like original, I believe. A Showtimer, uh, I'm pretty certain. That and it has right, Tippi yeah. Hedren in it. Uh, it's not a great movie as a bad B movie involving birds. It's okay. It's a sequel to Hitchcock's movie. It's ridiculous that it even exists, (laughs) but uh, there it is. The birds too. We have a double feature of, it looks like some uh, grindhouse Western with uh, hot snake and guns and guts. Those are some very, uh, that's vinegar titles, but uh, (laughs) we've been talking about Dennis Hopper and Dave's got a review coming up of one of his films. Uh, This is latter day Dennis Hopper, you know, uh, latter day from the seventies and 1996 when he released space truckers, Mm, uh, which is a Stuart Gordon movie. I actually am a little bit of a fan of this movie. It's silly. It's goofy. It came out around the same time as movies like the fifth element, starship troopers. And it has, it's, it's much cheaper than those movies, but it has that same sort of fun aesthetic. And I, I like it a lot. I think if you're a fan of, of goofy sci-fi comedies, you'll get something out of it. Yeah, I knew you were going to mention that one. I haven't seen it, but I I knew that was one you're going to bring up. I got to oh. add that one to the watch list yeah. if it's in the vein of that feeling. We've got a great double feature of Stripped to Kill and Final Judgment. Uh, I've actually seen <laughs> Stripped to Kill, no surprise there, my years of working in a video store. Uh, anything else? It's a Summer of Blood. From 2014 <laughs> is a that. fun little indie, interesting cover any horror comedy i don't know if you've seen it but it's a lot I of it's a lot of fun it's a very goofy uh droll take on the vampire mythos um but i do i do like it um the 10th man with anthony hopkins from 1988 not familiar with this one at all and so i don't know anything about that phantom of the open is a movie i meant to see in theaters this summer but i didn't get a chance to a Walk in the Woods is a kind of cool movie. Robert Redford mm-hmm. and Nick Nolte. Uh, they, this, I always have a list of movies that's movies to recommend to my parents. That's one of them. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> you can kind of tell by looking at that at that yep. cover. Last one I'm going to mention, and I'm kind of uh, wrapped up here on my end, is uh, Brian and Charles from 2022. I was going to see this at Sundance. I didn't get a chance to. It came to the theater, and I still didn't. My, my kids are freaked out by this robot because he's basically a refrigerator <laughs> body with a mannequin head stuffed in. Yeah. But you can see the short film. It's very, very British. <laughs> but <laughs> it, if you enjoy that sort of very kind of um, kitschy sort of humor, uh, then you'll, you'll probably have some fun with it. I've been meaning to see it. I think we will definitely rent it and watch it. I If you check out the short first, because the short may, if you by the end of the short, you feel like you've had just enough of this concept, I doubt this entire film will probably change anyone's mind i i haven't seen the whole movie but uh there was a feeling though there are gonna be some people are gonna have just enough of this (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, i don't see anything else in this list but i told you nathan i was going to tell you about a a release that got announced and i hope you haven't heard about this one yet are you ready for it sure shoot so on october 31st of course we are getting a blu-ray of ghost watch 
oh, for real? I thought yeah. I saw that pop up. But I was like, I looked at it and I thought, it's Blu-ray? Yeah, I went on uh, uh, Diabolic DVD, you know, where the deals are so wicked that you think you made a deal with the devil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not their slogan, I don't think. But um, yeah, send us movies and we'll make it your slogan. <laughs> yes. um, but no, I think... Yeah, I I pre I was going to pre order it with that version of the ring you sent earlier on there. So oh, yeah, so it's uh, I think it's only like twenty. I think it's right around twenty bucks. So it's not too expensive either. Is it on Amazon? I don't know. Okay. I just know I well, saw it on ugh. Diabolic DVD. Yeah, <laughs> so many things. <laughs> yes, there's a steel book of the U.S. version of the ring, which I'm a big fan of. One of the reasons is it's one of the first horror movies or any movies. One of the first movies I ever saw at a theater with my now wife. Then mm-hmm. uh, we weren't even dating, but uh, I love the movie. I love uh, the Japanese version as well, but I'm a big fan of the Naomi Watts uh, film that's directed by um, yep. uh, Gore Verbinski. Yeah, thank you, Gore Verbinski, who I'm a fan of, too. I, he hasn't made too mm-hmm. many movies recently, but I, I do enjoy um, I, I enjoy his films, particularly Rango. And uh, I think he did the first couple of Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, but yeah, so let's move into our next segment. The last thing I do want to say is again, if you have, if, if, if you're a filmmaker or you happen to have a movie coming out and you want to let us know about, please do. If you are a, uh, someone who's distributing movies and want to, uh, have us review a movie on the show, we're happy to do that. A disc, any kind of movie, TV show, whatever it is. Uh, or if you're just someone, uh, a listener who wants to, uh, have us cover something specific, we we do requests. Um, we maybe you know I saw there were some Hallmark movies releasing in this time frame, Dave. So if you oh, have any Jesus. Hallmark movies you need rele- uh, reviewed, I saw there's Candace Cameron Bird a collection coming out of Christmas films. Yeah, the, the, that, those, those, those are the only ones I would. The only ones I would never buy. Dave, I would do never that, buy any of those. Trey and I will take the horror films if you have. But no, uh, no pass yes. that over to the real talk guys. No, real talk guys, let yeah. me tell you, those are horror films as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that, we'll those Hallmark movies, those Hallmark. Christmas films with, yeah, Candace Cameron Bure. She's in what, like, like two thirds. I'm not of them? joking. There's, I don't know if it's this week or it's in our next segment, but on this blue, this uh, list of movies coming out, there's a Candace Cameron Burr like actual box set of Christmas movies. I wasn't making that up, Dave. <laughs> oh, it's on there somewhere, but I, I won't. We won't focus on that because we got to keep moving. Uh, you know what? Uh, that's that's. I hope my wife never figures that out because I'll maybe end I'll up send them to, to you them. as a good present no please do not please do not (laughs) i'll I'll put jackie's name on the box which is that'll be that'll be dave will really be out there watching for the mail and uh, yeah right yeah exactly that one what is it don't worry about it it's adult films you don't need to know (laughs) right yeah this is this is this is deep throat and insatiable (laughs) finally made to order or whatever just showed up whatever it was Uh, made in sweden i'm sorry so right, maybe any, Sweden. Right. Anyway, we're right, let's move on to our next segment because we're we're about to spiral out. I want to keep us uh, moving here, or um, we're only slightly behind schedule. We're now what we're going to do is each of us. We're gonna, incredibly behind schedule, Nathan. Let's be. We're honest. incredibly behind schedule. Maybe we can make this up, Dave. You have to condense your hour or your whole day of viewing this particular. Uh, release uh, into 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can, but okay. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll do what we can do, and I can adjust it. Anyway, go ahead, and uh, we'll start with Dave, uh, his release that he's going to cover. Go for it. All right. Well, the mo- the new release that I'm going to cover is uh, called Out of the Blue, and it is from 1980, 
It is um, uh, directed by Dennis Hopper. And I just want to sort of talk about Dennis Hopper a little bit here before I get into, uh, you know, talking about Out of the Blue. Because Dennis Hopper is a very interesting filmmaker. Um, first off, he started as an actor, and he was an actor in classic Hollywood. He appeared in some, uh, you know, some some amazing uh, films from sort of uh, classic Hollywood. He was in. Uh, he played one of the um, uh, what is it, Clantons in uh, uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, which starred Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. I think it was back in the 1950s. He was uh, played um, uh, Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor's adult son in Giant, George Stevens' Giant from the 50s. He was in Nicholas Ray's Rebel Without a Cause. That's right. And he was in Cool Hand Luke (laughs) with Paul Newman. You know, uh, one of the great, as far as I'm concerned, one of the great Paul Newman performances is in Cool Hand Luke. So Dennis Hopper started as an actor in classic Hollywood. But if you watch the documentary Easy uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls from, I want to say, 2003, Mm -hmm. there's a sequence where Dennis Hopper is talking about how he's like, yeah, we're making... Hollywood movies, and but yet while well, we're making Rebel Without a Cause, at night, James Dean, Natalie Wood, and myself are going to the theater and we're watching European films. We're watching the movies of Kurosawa and, and Igmar Bergman and Federico Fellini. So these are the films that we're going to see. Even though we're working in Hollywood, we're going to see these European films that were sort of setting the trend, that were sort of changing the way you look at movies. So now we jump forward a little bit. Now, now uh, you know, uh, Dennis Hopper ends up sort of tied in with uh, Roger Corman in a way. He was making sort of uh, exploitation films. I don't even know if they were Roger Corman films. Maybe they were American International. I think so. I remember Night Tide specifically. Yeah, and he did the Glory Stompers. Yep. From the late '60s, uh, where he, it's a biker film, and and he, you know, it's funny because I, I it's, um, I think it was Quentin Tarantino who was a big fan of Glory Stompers, and it was, uh, I think it was in the early '90s where after after Dennis Hopper appeared in True Romance, but while Quentin Tarantino was editing Pulp Fiction, the two of them got together. And they were talking just about movies. And Quentin Tarantino said how much he was a fan of the Glory Stompers from 1967. And he said he basically said that was like the, the, the roots of Frank Booth, the character he played in David Lynch's, uh, what was that? Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, yeah. The character, he said, that's the roots of Frank Booth from Blue Velvet. And Dennis Hopper talked about how he, you know, he said... Dennis Hopper drove the director so crazy that he ended up quitting and Dennis Hopper ended up directing the movie. It's almost like the first movie that Dennis Hopper directed, not officially, but he directed the glory stompers. Okay. So let's look at Dennis Hopper as a filmmaker. All right. He made, he directed easy rider in 1969 and easy rider 
basically changed the landscape of Hollywood. Up to that time, you know, you had you had what was considered uh, Hollywood, the, the studio system, and what was going on. Easy Rider changed all of that. It brought in a younger audience that were not interested in the movies that Hollywood was releasing at the time. You know, when you look at the late 60s, Hollywood was still putting out musicals. They were putting out things like Hello, Dolly. And they were putting out Paint Your Wagon, which, my God, has Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin singing <laughs> <laughs> in Paint Your Wagon. And I'm, I actually like Paint Your Wagon. I'm like, I don't want to talk too much. I don't want to throw too much. I don't want to diss it too much. because well, I'm the beginning of a like, new phase, though. Yeah. It was a new phase, yes. It was, it was, it was sort of Dennis, Dennis Hopper directed Easy Rider. But... This is kind of where, and you know, uh, Trey, you mentioned in your most recent episode how I had emailed you about the auteur theory. Yes, yeah. Yeah, about how the director is the author of the film. And that goes back to, um, you know, uh, Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard yeah. and Andre Bazin, you know, and at the beginning of the French New Wave, how they looked at the director as the author of the film. And it was sort of in rebellion against what was going on in French cinema at the time where the screenwriter was sort of looked at as the be all and end all. The screenwriter was the one who was the most important uh, person uh, or the most important individual when it came to making the movies. They're like, no, the screenwriter is it's almost like like a lot of they were looking at a lot of French films were like filmed plays. They came out from the mid to later, from the early to, to later 50s. And the French New Wave was like, no, the director is the one. He's the author of the film. Whether he wrote the screenplay or not, it is the director who is making the movie. All right. Well, I think when it got to Easy Rider, you know, and it sort of looked at that auteur theory, Dennis Hopper is listed as the director of Easy Rider. But when you see the film, I always considered it a collaborative effort. I thought Peter Fonda had as much to do with it. I thought, um, uh, who was the cinematographer? Was it Vilmos Zygmunt? I can't remember if he's the one who was a uh, cinematographer. I don't have IMDb up right now. I, I think you're right, uh, but I don't either. Uh... I, I think it was Vilmos Zygmunt. And uh, even Jack Nicholson to a degree. It was a collaborative effort. That made Easy Rider. That shows up on screen on that film too. I really, it really does have that feeling of a uh, that it's a series of contributions, and that there isn't this lockstep that this is the vision of any single person, which I think is by design. Right, exactly, and that's what I got the feeling of as I was watching Easy Rider. It almost felt like the Monty Python films. Yeah, yeah. Like Holy Grail and Life of Brian. Yes. Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam are listed as the directors of those movies. But you're going to tell me that Michael Palin, John Cleese, Graham Chapman, and Eric Idle had no input? Well, and they're very got different. Into those movies. They're very different when you when you see uh either of those two guys, Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam, of course. They have a they have a different style. You see some of their style, but those things are much more uh like individualist visions, but you know, what? Well, yes. Monty, Monty Terry Gilliam, Terry yeah. Gilliam became an auteur from time bandits on. Yeah. 
But with those early films, when he's listed as a director or a co-director of Holy Grail, and and I think it was Ter- I think it might have been just been Terry Jones for yeah. Life of Brian. I don't know if Gillian was listening as assistant. Terry Jones tried later with Eric the Viking. It didn't work out. Really. Yeah, <laughs> and it didn't work out quite as well. But they're listed as the directors. But it was a collaborative effort. Collaborative effort. You know, uh, as far as I was concerned with those movies, I felt the same way with Easy Rider. But because Dennis Hopper was the director, he ended up getting a deal for his next film where he got final cut. He got, you know, whatever story he wanted to tell. Was it Paramount or Universal? I can't remember which one. Hold on. Actually, I have it listed here. Um, Where they gave him carte blanche. You know, whatever you want to do. That's playing with fire with Dennis Hopper, I feel like. Oh, it is. It definitely <laughs> is. Um, uh, and uh, I, it was universal. They gave him $1 million <laughs> after Easy Rider became a big success. And they, gave, they said, whatever you want to do next. So he made the last movie in uh, 19, I want to say 71. I think it was 1971 that the last movie uh, came out. Um, but the problem was that Dennis Hopper was sort of out of control. He, he had become a sort of a victim of his addictions. Yeah. He was just spiraling out at this point in time. He was. And it was Peter Fonda and everyone else who sort of kept him. I just got a feeling they kept him in check on easy rider. Yeah. You know what? There's a great story in the documentary, easy riders, raising bulls. Where they talk about how they, um, where Bob Rafelson, the producer of the film, sent them all down to Mardi Gras and gave them 60, um, 60 millimeter camera and said, just shoot footage of Mardi Gras. And I want to see what you put together, you know, uh, for this movie. And that footage ended up making it into Easy Rider. That is why the footage at Mardi Gras looks so different from the rest of the movie because it's shot in 60 millimeter. And it was shot first. And Peter Fonda and some of the other people ended up turning the camera on Dennis Hopper, who was freaking out going, shoot this, shoot that. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you listening to me? Do this, do that. He was freaking out at the time. And they went back to Bob Rafelson and said, this guy's out of control. You can't let him direct this movie. But Bob Rafelson said, no, I hired Dennis Hopper to direct this movie. Yes, he seems agitated, (laughs) but it's because you're not listening to him. You're not doing what he wanted to do. So he's the man I hired to direct this movie. He will direct this movie. But yet I still got the feeling that everyone kept him in check. When it came to the last movie, he lost those checks and balances. The wheels come off. You can tell. (laughs) You can tell. Yes. No one talks about the last movie. (laughs) Yeah, it was just Dennis Hopper. And there's a documentary out there called The American Dreamer. And it was directed by... um, uh, Kit Car- L.M. Kit Carlson and Lawrence uh, Schiller, where they followed Dennis Hopper. It was about his post-production on the last movie. He ended up uh, renting a facility in Taos, New Mexico. You know, after shooting the film, he rented a facility in Taos, New Mexico to, to edit the last movie. Well, if you watch The American Dreamer, 15 to 20% of it is dedicated to his editing the last movie. The other 80% is dedicated to him partying and trying to get laid. 
that seems about par for the course in uh yeah the that's 70s. what you get with you you get and, and, and there's even a section in there where he's editing the last movie and dennis hopper said yeah this is boring you know, the studio is pressuring him. When are you going to deliver a, when are you going to deliver a cut that we can show the, the, the financiers? When are you going to finish this movie? His agent is even pressuring Dennis Hopper to say, when are you going to finish this movie? Well, Dennis Hopper is trying to figure out how he can get girls onto, onto the, onto the uh, location. You know, he's just saying, Hey, I'm an American dreamer. How can it be an American dreamer without broads? <laughs> <laughs> is what he says at one point in this movie. So it's it Dennis Hopper, this is Dennis Hopper without the checks and balances that he had in Easy Rider. And it was a disaster. Even though I like the last movie, I think it's an interesting film. It was ultimately a disaster. You know, critically and even with audiences, it didn't get where it was. So you have all these years passing before Dennis Hopper, you know, he's not a director anymore. He's not, they're not giving him any money to direct any movies. So let's jump forward to the late seventies, the early eighties with out of the blue. All right. Which is the movie I'm actually talking about tonight. I'm finally getting around <laughs> to it. And his image um, is pretty well tarnished at this point. I think studio. Oh, it is. It's, it's tarnished at this point. Yeah. He's, he's hired to be an actor in out of the blue. And the original Out of the Blue, um, the version, and it is a Canadian tax shelter film, which there were a lot of them in the late 70s and early 80s. A lot of movies that were made in Canada under the tax shelter. Um, oh, God, what was there? There was one uh, trucker movie called Highballing <laughs> that actually had Peter, F Peter Fonda and um, Jerry Reed in it. And what's funny is they had like a two-month window to film it. So it's a trucker movie where they're driving in the freaking snow. Wow. Peter Fonda was doing just about anything at this point, too. There was <laughs> at, at that point, yeah. And they're and then highballing, they're driving in the snow because they had a two-month period to make the movie to get it under the tax shelter, the Canadian tax shelter, and it was during the winter. So you see these truckers who are supposedly down south driving in the snow. Yeah, I don't think Canada was happy about that one, right? Because they wanted to show what a beautiful country it was. To <laughs> exactly, and, and then it ends up showing like like this this snowy, just just awful landscape in high in 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 this film. Funny. But anyway, um, the, out of the blue, it's it's uh, Leonard uh, Yakir, who had made uh, was most notable for making a short film about um, oh god, who I, I want to look it up here. Uh, it's called Main Street Soldier from 1972. That was, uh, is what Leonard Yacker had made this uh, short film. Uh, it's like 30-some minutes about this uh, soldier uh, who had served in the war, and now he's living on the streets in uh, Toronto or I can't remember exactly where. Um, but he's hired to direct out of the blue. Well, he, he shoots a few scenes for a couple weeks, and the financiers look at it and go, wow, this isn't working. This is just not working. This guy is not, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. At that point, the movie is called CB and it's not working. So they pull Dennis Hopper in, they show him the footage and go, yeah, we're, we're shutting this down. We're going to shut this movie down. It's, it's just not happening. And, um, the, you know, Leonard, uh, Yakuri, he doesn't get it. Dennis Hopper says to them, give me a weekend. I want to write a new screenplay. And I'll direct the movie. 
So they give him that. And he realizes that the young girl they hired to appear in this film has a lot more going for her. So he builds a movie around her. And that actress is Linda Manns. Anyone who has seen Days of Heaven real knows who Linda Manns is. She plays a character in the movie, but she's the narrator of that film. You know, Terrence Malick saw something in her where he brought her back to narrate the film. And it's masterful. She does such a great job. I think Days of Heaven, I think, is a masterpiece. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And part of the reason is because of Linda Manns. And not she everyone plays the can, young girl in this. can handle that poetic, uh, existential language that man, that, uh, excuse me, that Malik writes, right? Like she handles it perfectly. And she handles it perfect. And she has that thick New York accent. You know, it's not just, she has that New York accent as she's, even as she's narrating that movie. All right. Well, she's, she's appearing in out of the blue. And originally she was just sort of like this. She was, she was a main character, but it wasn't really about her. Dennis Hopper rewrote this movie and ended up calling it out of the blue because it's based on, um, he got that title from Neil Young's. Hey, Hey, my, my, you know, he, he got the title from that and he got out of the blue. That's one of the lines in that, uh, Neil Young song. And he's a big, you know, Neil Young was a, a friend of Dennis Hopper's and he was listening to that song as he was rewriting the movie. Uh, and he built it around Linda Mann's. And he built it around her love of punk, sort of like punk music. So the movie changed completely. It was sort of a family-friendly film originally about a young girl who's helped by a psychiatrist played by Raymond Burr. And it becomes a much darker film. And that's what Out of the Blue was. Out of the Blue is a much darker movie. Uh, by the time Dennis Hopper is done with it, the very first scene has Dennis Hopper in his, he plays a big rig driver and he's driving down the road and Linda Manns is his daughter and it's Halloween. So she has a clown, she has clown makeup on. He's taking her to school and you see him drinking. He's drinking as he's driving. And then they sort of show another scene where a, a school bus has stalled in the middle of the road and all these kids dressed in Halloween costumes are on this bus. Well, Dennis Hopper's heading down the road. He ends up crashing into the bus and killing all of the kids on this bus. He oh ends gosh. up in every prison. kid. I'm saying pretty much. Yeah, oh I think gosh. every kid on this bus, That's he terrible. kills them crashing into this. And he ends up in prison for five years. But yeah, and yet you have Linda Manns. And so it's really about this, this dysfunctional family. It joins Dennis Hopper when he's about to be released from prison. It flashes forward five years. And you have Sharon Farrell playing the mother. All right, she plays Dennis Hopper's, you know, I don't know if she's his wife. I think she's his wife uh, at this time. And Linda Mann's his mother. Um, and Sharon Farrell, uh, Farrell is basically playing a woman who, while Dennis Hopper is in prison, is sleeping with any guy who's going to support her but yet is still in love with Dennis Hopper's character. And once him, you know, when he's released, they're going to be a family again. And Linda Manns has this strong connection to Dennis Hopper. You know, he's like her, her father. She's the, she's like, she loves him. And there's a, there's a, a, a really amazing scene in this movie where they go to visit him in prison right before he's released. 
and they're sitting there and, and, you know, he's on the other side and he's talking on the phone and his hand is shaking. He's like, he says to Linda Manns, character, uh, in the film. And what's her name in this CB, um, uh, where he, he's talking to her and he says, I didn't want you to see me like this. And his hand is shaking and, and, uh, Sharon Farrell, who plays the wife is like, Oh, you, you, you know, uh, uh, your, your hand is shaking. Are you okay? And he's like, get her out of here. He plays Don, you know, that's his name. That's his character name. And Sharon Farrell plays Kathy, his wife. And he says, get her out of here, Kathy. I, I, I can't have her here. I can't have her seeing me in prison. But then he gets released. He gets a job working at a trash dump. You know, he, he's, he's working at a, um, uh, a garbage dump, uh, working big machinery there. But the whole idea is he killed all of these kids. At his homecoming, when he comes home and all of his friends are there to welcome him, you know, his, his wife and his daughter and his best friend in this is played by Don Gordon. He plays Charlie. Are there to welcome Don home. At the same time, the father of one of the kids he killed is there and said, do you know me? You murdered my son. And yet, he appears throughout the movie, but yet uh, the the character Don, played by uh, Dennis Hopper, has no sympathy for him. He's like... What are you going to do? Do I have to apologize to you? I did five years in prison. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm an asshole. I killed your kid. I'm an asshole. I'm sorry. But you know what? Sit down and have a drink with me. So there's this underlying uh, drama going on here. And there's the drama of the young family going on in this movie. But the anchor for this film is Linda Manns. She delivers an outstanding performance as CB in out of the blue. And for me, let's just say this movie, it starts out dark and it gets darker and darker as it goes on. When you realize it gets darker. the real relationship, it gets darker when you realize the actual relationship between Don and CB and what had happened to them in the past. When CB finally realizes what happened between her and her father after idolizing her father, she realizes what was the true relationship and the fact that Kathy, their mother, turned a blind eye to it. Let's just say the movie happens to get darker. And Linda Manns, for me, gives she is the, the, the sort of anchor of this film. I think she gives a masterful performance in this. I don't want to go too, too much deeper into the film. Let's talk about the release. And this is a Severn release. All right, and the, the special features on this, there are three audio commentaries for this. And one of them had to be recorded at least 13 years ago because Dennis Hopper is part of it. Dennis Hopper passed away in 2010. Wow. But one of the audio long. commentaries features Dennis Hopper, executive producer Paul Lewis, and distributor John Allen Simon talking about this. There's another audio commentary with film scholar Kate Rennebon. Uh, and that's my favorite one. That's my favorite audio commentary because she really does a deep dive into the history of the film and just the history of sort of Dennis Hopper as a filmmaker. Uh, and there's another audio commentary with film writer Kat Ellinger. And Kat Ellinger is someone I've come to really admire uh, recently. I think I heard her. Um, there was a, uh, a series of um, uh, podcasts for the Projection Booth 
a few months ago where they looked at um, uh, screwball comedies. And Kat Ellinger joined them. Uh, and I really I just sort of respect, I really liked her commentary during those podcasts. And she does uh, the third audio commentary for this. Um, there's also, uh, and this is a 4K, by the way. Out of the Blue was released by Severin on 4K, and it's a nice. three-disc set. Uh, it's a 4K and then two Blu-rays. Um, and with the Blu-rays, there's a 1984 Dennis Hopper interview with Tony Watts over in the UK. This thing is an hour and a half. Just that interview is an hour and a half between Dennis Hopper and Tony Watts talking about his career. Then there's a, uh, there's a, um, a special feature called Gone But Not Forgotten, Remembering Linda Manns. Linda Manns passed away in 2020. She was 57, I think, years old. Oh, uh, and old she uh, had appeared, she appeared, you know, obviously we talked about Days of Heaven and Out of the Blue. She was also in um, The Wanderers mm -hmm. from 1979. And she was in Gummo. Was she? She played that young boy's mother in Gummo. Did not know that. Yeah. So she was in a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of people who remember her. That That's one of the special features. There's a special feature called Subverting Normality. Linda Manns comes from Out of the Blue video essay by Amanda Reyes and Chris O'Neill, which I really enjoyed as well. Uh, there is uh, uh, there. They actually feature Main Street Soldier, the short film by Leonard Yakir. Leonard Yakir, the director who was fired off of this movie, they have his short film that got him hired initially as the director, and he provides a commentary for Main Street Soldier. That's crazy. That is one of the, and that is one of the special features on this. And then from there, it goes into on the second disc with the Blu-rays, a number of interviews. I'm talking at least. 18 to 20 interviews on this with people who worked on the movie, uh, including Sharon Farrell, uh, and people who were friends with Dennis Hopper and got to know him and, wa and wanted to talk about the film. Ethan Hawke is one of them. That's very cool. The interview with, the interview with Ethan Hawke alone is an hour and nine minutes. This is they a, talk hefty, to Alex a hefty Cock. release of material. Yeah, there's a lot oh. going on there. I'm telling you, this thing is amazing. This thing has 15 hours of special features well, above and beyond the movie. Yeah, I wanted movie to itself. mention we we were talking today. We were on the on the thread for this uh, podcast, and we were kind of going back and forth. And this happens a lot. And it, someone will mention we're watching something. That kind of uh, you know, you get the blow by blow sometimes. And we talked to Dave. What was it? It was early in the morning, and, and Dave said it was turning. like eight in the morning when yeah. I started watching the movie. And I think about eight hours later, I see a message pop up and Dave's like, well, I'm still watching out of the blue. <laughs> I'm watching the special yeah. features. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of the blue. Um, but you really get to see, you just get to see, this is a, this is a movie that, um, you know, uh, Dennis Hopper, Easy Rider was a personal film for him. Uh, the last movie was a personal film for him. Out of the blue was not necessarily because he was hired as an actor. But he made it a personal film for him. And I think when you look at his directorial career, it might be the last personal film that Dennis Hopper made. He directed Colors in 88, but that wasn't really his. He was just sort of a director for hire. And that happened a lot in going forward. Alex Cox has a special feature on this where he's talking about 
Dennis Hopper and his experience with him making a movie. I think Dennis, I think Alex Cox wrote a movie that Dennis Hopper directed. And Dennis Hopper, we know Alex Cox, uh, the, 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 um, uh, who was it? Um, the, uh, producer of this special, John Allen Simon, the producer of this special feature of this, um, this remaster of Out of the Blue asked him, what do you remember about being on the set? And Alex Cox says, oh, Dennis Hopper didn't get along at all with the DP. Didn't get along with him at all. They just didn't agree and they were arguing back and forth. And Alex Cox said, well, why don't you fire him? And Dennis Hopper said, well, if I fire him, it's going to put us behind schedule and then I don't get my bonus. <laughs> so he became a director for hire later in his career. So he had, but right out of the gate with Easy Rider, the last movie and out of the blue, what it became, those were his personal movies. Yeah, see, I was picking up on him when he was directing movies like Chasers in 1994. So Yeah, and, and they, he was just a director for hire on all of those. Yeah. You know, they just weren't personal movies for him. It was just a director for hire. But if you want to see what he was as a personal director, watch Out of the Blue. And there are long takes in this movie. There are long shots in this where he's just moving the camera in a way that is just masterful. But then you see the other side of Dennis Hopper, the actor. I'm telling you, the last third of this movie, I don't think Dennis Hopper was sober for a second of it. <laughs> he was drunk off his ass playing the character of Don in the last part of this movie. And the movie goes in some dark goddamn places where I think it was being ad-libbed. I don't want to spoil it, any of it here. But Ethan Hawke, when he was talking about Out of the Blue, he was talking about how much he liked the way it was going. And when it got to the end of the movie, he was like, fuck you, Dennis. I hate this movie. <laughs> Until he started to think about it yeah. and reflect on it and realize, no, I see what he was going for here. You know, I kind of understand what he was doing in this, but it gets so dark at the end of it. And part of it is because they're ad-libbing and Dennis Hopper was drunk off his ass. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting because, it, incidentally, Trey and I were talking today about a movie, a movie that just come out that I well, that I felt was pure misery in terms of content kept getting darker and darker and darker. Very well acted. I don't want to go into it here. Things going on in it. But at the end of the day, I thought, well, I just threw a lot of misery for not a lot of payoff, you know. But I said mm -hmm. to, to Trey, there, there are directors and there are there are films that can delve into that darkness and if they're done in I'll say the right way but if they're able to tap into something that's personal and and uh, you know has an immediacy and it can channel that pain then you make this feel worthwhile even if you get kicked in the guts and right but it's very it's very rare that happens but i'm in uh even having that conversation where i'm like you know i i, I don't always want to have these experiences I'm I'm in for this one. I really want to see this movie. Oh, I and I and part of it, and you know, as much as I've been talking about Dennis Hopper here, it's Linda Manns who makes out of the blue. And that's the I mean, I wanna I I, I like Hopper and I, I think that his this period of time where he's just just reckless force, right? Like people know they're right. gonna get something good, but they're also gonna get something bad, maybe. Right. <laughs> that you take the I mean, you look at like Mad Dog Morgan, he's just like a whirlwind of disaster. Oh my god, he's that's another one. He basically prepared for that role by drinking rum. He ended up getting kicked out of Australia. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, he, he was speeding at like 110 miles an yeah. hour, and the judge said to him, yeah, you are out of here. 
you're yeah. you're at, you know you're out of this country um and they talk about that and that was that great documentary not quite hollywood yeah. the, and the, you know because that's a, philip mora who directed uh mad dog mora come up again here shortly but he's a- yes he will he'll come up again shortly yes he directed that and there's a great moment in that documentary where he talks about uh, the late david gopola who we talked about in the last episode yeah. um you know from walkabout where he disappeared for three days and I think you might have cut this out of the last episode. I, I may have. I Nathan, won't, cut, you I won't cut it out 20, of this one. Minutes. <laughs> I think this story you cut out of that last episode. But David Gopalil, uh, during the making of Mad Dog Morgan, disappeared for three days. And Philip Mora is like, where the hell is he? we got to make this movie. And then all of a sudden he showed up and he goes, David, you can't do that. You can't disappear. And David Gopalil said, well, I had to go talk to the trees and, the, and nature. I had to ask him about Dennis, you know, talking about Dennis Hopper. And they said he's crazy. And Philip Mora goes, well, Christ, I could have told you that. You didn't have to spend three days talking to nature. I could have told you Dennis was crazy. <laughs> you know, during the making of Mad Dog Morgan, and he was. You know, he that he prepared for the role by drinking rum. <laughs> Nonstop. And method acting, right? <laughs> method acting, right. He just drank his ass off making Mad Dog Morgan. But that was Dennis Hopper during that period from the late sixties to the early eighties. That's who he was. When he sobered out, it became different. There was a different Dennis Hopper all of a sudden. When that's so different, I just want to talk about that real briefly. The funny thing is that Trey may have a similar experience to me is I didn't, I didn't know this Dennis Hopper, right? Like initially, like as a kid growing up, I'm seeing the Dennis Hopper of, you know, I probably first saw him in a movie like my science project. Also a Kino Glover movie that was sort of like, almost like a, you know, came out around the same time as Weird Science and uh, Real Genius, and in in some of these movies all look in the same year. Or, or even Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Well, yeah, and I saw that one a little bit later, so I didn't. I Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre, I probably saw about like high school, but like you know, yeah, I, I saw 80s, that later as well. But, yeah, what I didn't realize, like, if there's a point in. Uh, I was like, I wasn't seeing Blue Velvet either initially, but you know, in no. uh, my science project, he's the hippie science teacher but he's a part you know he, he's he, at one point he shows up wearing his easy rider costume i don't know if he comes back out of the wow. time loop but he's like i was just at woodstock you know and there's this there the characters he plays later on are these sort of like establishment characters with nuttiness in their eyes right like he, lots of times the villain right like frank right. Booth sort of sets him off and then we see him in speed and so i think a lot I of us probably speed yeah. him in this yeah and he's a very even different... in the land of the dead even in the land of the dead oh, yeah. george romero's land of the dead oh, he so played sort of a of villainous that, yeah. character yeah. but he's this guy who often's the bad guy he's super mario brothers he's He's the king. Oh, Koopa, I forgot. Oh, and no. all they've done is let him. He's just taken hair gel and made three spines on the top of his head. And I always imagine that it, that was just Dennis Hopper's idea. No, I don't need makeup. We'll just we'll do this. And, uh, and, that and don't forget dinosaur. the crow wicked prayer there, Nathan. <laughs> I didn't know that. I remember him. I mean, he did did some junk. He did some junk back in the day. Did yeah. junk, you know, and that's why he got messed up. But he's also made some crap. Uh, but I think the interesting thing is like he's always this guy with a lot of intensity right up front, you know, and then later seeing him like Apocalypse Now and then watching the documentary Apocalypse Now and like, well, where the hell is Brando? Well, yeah, hearts, Dennis hearts took him of off somewhere. There's Dennis yes. sitting up in a tree somewhere and Coppola's about I, to have I a heart attack. That, I remember that with, 
with Coppola arguing with Hopper. Yeah, yeah, a lot. There was a lot. You know, of they're that. going back and forth where they're just going back and forth about like what he's saying and what's going on in the movie. And they're like, Dennis, know? what the hell are you doing? <laughs> just like, it's none of and that. And that was that was still that was still Dennis Hopper yeah. under the influence. But you see him a little bit focused and a different kind of guy. And again, you know, you often like so it, it's very interesting because he did sort of refocus himself and rebrand himself in a different way in those in those later days. You know, it, like the. Uh, I, I think kind of from the eighties forward, but he's always had that. He became that, much more subdued. And that interview yes. I mentioned that once for an hour and a half, that is a subdued, sober Dennis Hopper looking back on his career very and looking back guy. on it in a very yeah. honest way. Yeah. In a very honest way. I think he's very, yeah. And that's, you can see this in the work that he does. There was this intensity, but there's a, there was an intelligence too, a thoughtfulness and um, yeah. mixed oh, in. Oh, there is. And there was talent. Yeah. There really was. Even though, you know, when you look at, when you look at uh, Easy Rider, and I just mentioned how I thought it was collaborative, but you see Dennis Hopper's touch in it. Oh yeah. Those sequences sure. in, 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 in Easy Rider where they're flashing back and forth between the current scene and the future scene. It's like image, 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 and then it goes into the future scene. You see, that's a style. That's a stylistic uh, decision. That and you, uh, that for me was Dennis Hopper. That was what he brought to Easy Rider. And it's funny because you're talking about how you knew uh, Dennis Hopper from all these later films. My first experience with Dennis Hopper was Easy Rider. <laughs> yeah. In the early 80s, I was able to get a VHS copy of that film and watch it. So my first experience with a Dennis Hopper film was Easy Rider. That's awesome. And but you but again, you know, and you see what he became later on with the last movie and Out of the Blue where he was just still a, he was he was given over to his excesses. And it wasn't until he got into the 80s when he sobered out, they became a very different Dennis Hopper. Yeah. And then in the 90s, you got to have such classics as Waterworld and Space Truckers. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, well, both <laughs> movies I like. I'm not even going to pretend. <laughs> I you know what? I like Westworld. I like Waterworld too. Yeah. And Space Truckers I just was said the West late World. Stuart Gordon. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. very low budget, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but true romance, like the scenes in true romance, and 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 he's not in as much blue velvet as you th as you think he is, right? Like when you see that right. film. But the way, but, but he's memorable, and and the scene in true romance with him and Christopher yes, Walken is the best scene in that movie. It's maybe one of the best scenes that Tarantino's ever been involved in. I mean, it's yeah, I, I agree. I'm telling you, it's one of the great Tarantino dialogue scenes. But when 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 he when Dennis Hopper is sitting there and he's facing off against Christopher Walken's Sicilian character, yeah, and the stuff he's one of the great all time. I'm definitely one of the best scenes in the '90s, and maybe one of the best scenes of all time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great movie. And uh, have you seen True Romance, uh, Trey? No, I actually haven't. Um, oh. I was planning on watching it if you were. Uh... If we were going to cover it in this episode, we're, we're not this one, but we will cover it soon because it's a great, yeah, great we movie. I didn't get a chance to yeah. go through all the special features on it, and I wanted to do that. But so, yeah, out of the blue, man, I think I'm going to have to pick it up. Um, I may look for it on streaming. I'm not sure if it is first, just to get a watch because, um, I, like some of these dark films, I'm like, I don't know how much I can subject myself to, but I'm also <laughs> deeply interested in 
the whole backstory behind it. And Severin, who releases this, uh, they do an awesome job with these releases because they give they, they tend to. It, it, Trainer talking about sometimes you get movies and you're just like, hey, we're just glad that it's on disc, right? <laughs> but exactly, but yeah. sometimes they get these movies. And they have such a it has such a, a colorful or rich backstory, even if that backstory is how the movie didn't end up getting made the way it was supposed to be made, uh, that it, it it allows them to build the special features into a context and give you this like rounded view yes. of things. So I'm very excited about it just for that perspective. So Out of the Blue is available right now. You can uh, order. I think you probably get from Amazon too, right? Not just exclusively from Severin, I think, right? Now, let me tell you, even if it's in the $30 range, I say it's worth it. Well, I, yeah, for I'd the say special that, features of, for the movie itself, yeah. but for also for the special features, I say this copy of Out of the Blue is worth picking up, even if it's thirty some dollars on Amazon. And again, four K. So there, there's that. Yeah, I think that's yeah, the it's thing. Four K. Yes. And sometimes, and then, and by the way, this one right now is twenty six dollars. So you don't even have if you get it right now, you get it fifty five percent off. Severin. Um. In fact, I just hit the button. Oh, well. Uh, it's done. It's done. Um, nice. But, uh, as and much, you're, you're not going to regret it, sir. You're not going to regret it. As much for Linda Manns as Dennis Hopper. So, um, yeah. And, and Raymond more Burr. for Linda Raymond Manns. Burr. Yeah. Um, but the uh, – so, yeah. Check it out. I, I don't think you can really go wrong with Severin release. As long as you know the movie you're buying. I mean, Severin's got a lot of stuff right, out exactly. there. But if yeah. – uh, they they do a bang up job. So what I want to do now is move to Trey's movie. Uh, your your uh, choice. Yeah. So my choice is um, almost piggybacking off of last episode. Eh, we were talking about this, and it's like cry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't. Even, I don't. Even, I don't even notice these things anymore. <laughs> they just come out. Um, <laughs> but that's piggybacking off of um, the Criterion episode we did. And this is a. Uh, I think this came out about a month ago today, actually. And this is the Okja release from director uh, Bong Joon-ho. Oh, nice. And I did, I was debating between the 4K and the Blu-ray. I did go with the 4K. Um, although I'll tell you, I popped in, you know, they usually, when the 4K releases, they've got the 4K disc with the movie, and they've got the Blu-ray with the movie and the special features. When I popped in the special features disc, the picture was, I mean, it was very good. So <laughs> I don't think you, if you want to save the five bucks or whatever it is, I don't think you could go wrong with either one. Um, so Oakjaw is this very weird movie that was um, a Netflix exclusive. So this is one of those that they picked up from Netflix and released, which we don't get very often, but I'm glad that they did. I think they're working their way through his filmography if they're not through it already. Um, but this is a very weird movie about these super pigs that are being made for, you know, well, I'm not going to go into what they're being made for, but there's this big contest about these 26, I think, super pigs around the world. And in 10 years or something, they're going to go and see which country grew the best super pig. And there's going to be this whole pageantry. And this is this weird um, co-production between uh, South Korea and the United States. And some of the little featurettes get into that. But I mean, this has got a good cast. You've got a solid Korean cast, even though it's not really recognizable. Um, as far as probably haven't seen them before, but the little girl in this is incredible and her grandfather's great as well. Um, and then you've got American actors like uh, Tilda Swinton and Stephen Yoon, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Paul Diano is in there before he had his turn as the Riddler here recently. And I think the cast is just incredible. It's a little weird. It's a little quirky as all of uh, June Ho's films are, 
but I think it's really got a lot of heart. And you can see that even, I mean, the cover is very simple. It's very basic. Um, the little girl and the super pig looking at each other. And then, you know, you open it up and you got the little booklet insert. And I love this. It's got Ocha on his back and the girl laying on his belly. So it's very, uh, very nice little packaging that they put together. As far as the special features on this, um, there's not a ton. I think with this being a Netflix release, a lot of these things were after the fact that they were digging in. Luckily, we've still got all these people, but there's not really um, there is like a, you know, director's diary where we do see the actors and stuff, but there's not really anything with the big American actors. Um, there are some pretty cool things that go into the behind the scenes on how they made the super pigs uh, in this movie which is one of the main parts of this movie, I feel like. And then there's another one where they go deep into, you know, the both the South Korean and the American counterparts on how they made all of these different costuming designs and they how they created this character and brought him to life and how Jake Gyllenhaal thought his character should have shorter shorts uh, than they gave him initially because he was really into the role. And um, I that's some cool stuff that's going on. Other than that, we've got some, you know, interviews with the director. We've got some interviews with different people that have... Um, that were done, I think, in 2001, so it was recently, uh, where they were looking back on the film. So not really a whole lot of, like, on-set things. But again, it's a Netflix release. Uh, we're glad, lucky we got this one. Um, the picture's beautiful. I, I don't know what else I can say about this. Um, have you guys seen this one, this movie? Yes. For, yeah. For I have sure. not. Oh, you haven't seen it yet, Dave? No, I have not. So this is... It's such an interesting movie, and it's on Netflix, and I've been going back and forth because I think when the film first came out, and my kids were a bit younger, and so they watched a little bit of this with me, but not all of it, because, you know, as cute as a super pig is, and it may be one of the cutest, <laughs> like, special effects creatures yes. since E.T. I mean, it's adorable, and it's wonderful, and you kind of have to see it. Um, and I, but I, I and, and, and so I think that, you know, it didn't have a like a typical theatrical rating because it was a Netflix film. So I think it had a TVMA. So this thing is a little bit of language and there's ultimately Trey has alluded to what happens to the super pigs and you're not hard. You know, it's not going to be too much of a stretch to figure that out. Although be this being yeah. a, a Bong Joon-ho movie, you do get to see that in a, a bit of detail. <laughs> oh and, gosh. Uh, yeah. So this is definitely a, um, there is an ecological bent to this film. And I think that, you know, uh, it's uh it is definitely sort of um, uh, pro-animal in a sense. You know, I don't want to get too much into there, but yeah, I, I think it's pro-animal, but I think it also kind of almost pokes fun at the other side of that too, right? Like yeah, the PETA, yeah, people. Well, well, it kind of what it does is it pokes fun at everything from this sort of um, hysterical. Well, is it not hysterical? It's funny, but hysteria, like from this hysteria yeah. of, of the way people behave. And so the two movies that reminds me of and stuff, yeah. is you've got this adventure story with this little girl trying to get the pig back. And it is feels almost fairy tale and almost like a kid's movie. And I think a mature kid could handle it, you know, particularly if your parents mm -hmm. watching it with you. But it is not a kid's film by any means. Uh, but it has that sort of joy to it. Right. Like so it's almost but it almost structurally feels very similar to Bong Joon-ho's The Host. Or you have this sort of makeshift yeah. family and you have this member in that one, the monster had taken the girl and this one, the creature is the member of the family that they're trying to, to mm -hmm. save. And, but it has that same kind of fun uh, adventure quest structure to it with these sort of offbeat characters, except they're, they're, a, they're not a, a biological family. They're sort of a makeshift family of these, of these eccentrics. But here's a movie that I never thought I would say it remind me of. It reminds me of the movie network, Dave. <laughs> 
in the sense of there's this satire running through the whole thing where everything is elevated. And, and, and if anyone who's seen the film Network, we see it from all the different perspectives right. of these characters, and we see how the system, uh, it, it, it's overwrought, but it's not untrue, so to speak. You know, that right. the truth about how the system runs a network is, uh, it, it was true to to television at that time period in the 70s even though it was satirical and elevated high. Uh, I don't want to get quite to say <laughs> Dr. Strangelove because there, you know, I think Kubrick takes Strangelove into such far extremes that you know it's it's surrealist satire, but I think that a movie right. like Aksha has a certain feeling of trueness to it that I don't know that I'd seen in another movie except a movie like Network. So it's weird. You think take network and the host and kind of spin it through, you know, uh, Babe the Pig, and you have Aksha. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the the thing. You and I recently t- talked, Nathan, about a director that you know delves into the political subjects or whatever, just very different the things you know going on in our world. And Junho is definitely a director that does that. Yeah, um, yeah. From every I can't think of a film he's made that doesn't have like some kind of message hidden in there even though there's this goofy offbeat way of kind of satirizing it like you're talking about this is his lightest movie i think though because the touch here is much lighter yeah and and he does a lot of funny things with some of these characters like the jake the character that jake gyllenhaal plays and how he and and what happens to him (laughs) is he sort of comes unraveled and tilda swinton is wonderful in this movie too and he he gives these characters are almost he had just come off of snowpiercer and there are a lot of very bizarre caricatures in that film that's a much darker movie and i think i actually like this one better i think that he kind of reconnects to the humanity of the characters which he then carries over into a movie like parasite which is both comedic and horrific right uh yes yep but i think this is a great movie i kind of look forward to showing it to my kids i just need to do another rewatch of it first and and contemplate whether maybe we just cut that scene yeah that ending's pretty (laughs) yeah the the scene you might want to Oh, yeah. that's pretty rough. <laughs> but um, yeah, I but I think that's I think I'm going to have to back off of uh, Bong Joon-ho for a while or Boon, <laughs> because I think I did one last episode, too, with Memories of Murder. So it's a, it's a good uh, he's a great director. And uh, I'm just going through his filmography in these next. episodes. Yeah. But Dave, I definitely <laughs> definitely check out Aksha. I think you'll really get a kick out of it because it's um, it's one of those movies that is subversive and it's it's taking a kind of movie and just turning it on its head. Like you start out with cute care- creature frolicking with a young girl and then very soon you're into this dark kind of territory and yet it always keeps it's like uh, not it's innocence per se but it keeps a tone that feels like a fairy tale just now it's more wes yeah. anderson than say you know george miller's babe movies yeah yep. okay but, so that brings yep. me um so yeah say Akja, that's a criterion release uh it is nice. blu-ray 4k and the the movie I have, we're going to go back to Severin, and I had gone back and forth over a couple movies, but this one I had pre-ordered, and I actually honestly forgot I pre-ordered. Legit, legitimately forgot. My wife's like, yeah, sure you did, but I had forgotten. Mm-hmm. I'd seen this pop up. Uh, Severin released The Eurocrypt of Christopher Lee. They did a set of it back in, last year in 2021. And I, uh, they gotten a copy of it around Christmas time, and then they did. They released a second version, uh, just just last month. And a friend had pre-ordered it for me for my birthday, so that came. And at the same time, they had released another movie with Christopher Lee in it. And I looked at it and I thought, you know, what? I'm going to pre-order. I don't know anything about this. I never heard of this movie before. Uh, and this movie 
is a, a film from 1983. And I'm looking at the cover art, it, I, I have vague memories that I probably saw this sitting on a video store shelf somewhere in the 80s, but I certainly never gave it a, much of a second thought, and I had absolutely never seen it. This movie is called The Return of Captain Invincible. It's the, It was made in 1983. It was actually directed by Philippe Mora, who we were just talking about as the director of Mad Dog Morgan, an Australian director that around this time in 1983 is finished he had done that film but he also worked on a uh, a couple of schlocky movies that uh schlock horror films in the howling series he actually did howling 2 and howling 3 which i think are arguably in a series that has some pretty oddball off the wall installments i think we can probably credit mora with making the two weirdest ones uh, you, you get a werewolf orgy in one one film and you get the only as far as i'm aware of marsupial werewolf birth that I've ever seen <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> so uh, in some of those, and, and more, he also did communion with, with Christopher Walken, which is a very bizarre, it's just it's the story of um, uh, author Whitley Stryber, who's, who had an account of being abducted by aliens. And as odd as that is, the film movie that Moore makes of it is even, even weirder. So he's a, he's a guy who's an affinity for schlock and sort of an affinity for uh, the, He's got a quirkiness to him. I think it's that Australian bent that he brings to these films, uh, not unlike somebody like Brian Trenchard Smith, who when they they have this uh, almost uh, specifically Australian quirkiness that 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 turns everything on its head when they when they tackle subject matter. So it doesn't matter what it is; it's this uh, kind of eccentricity that colors it in a very specific way. I think you saw other directors, even like someone like Boz Lerman before he did movies like uh, Moulin Rouge, you look at a movie like Strictly Ballroom, it has that eccentricity sort of flowing through it, or in movies like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, um, which is a, a different director. But those, these films, uh, they have a sensibility to them that isn't particularly, it's very different, I think, from an American sensibility. So what's interesting about The Return of Captain Invincible, A, it's not a sequel to anything. It's an original film. It comes out in 1983, and it's a superhero movie. A superhero movie starring Alan Arkin and Christopher Lee. Our Arkin is Captain Invincible, who is this superhero who is introduced to us in the 1930s fighting Nazis in an opening that's really kind of uh, stunning because it begins as a black and white newsreel. And the level of detail here, even to incorporate actual footage of things like the McCarthy era and the witch hunts and things like that, and to see some of those actual like courtroom sequences with real historical people and scenes of footage from World War II, and then to have Alan Arkin sort of inserted into this as Captain Invincible. Remember, this is 1983. The two sort of, uh, I guess what you would call as subversive comic book stories that we see in graphic novels that come to influence the entire genre, right? We're talking basically The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. Alan, Alan Moore's Watchmen and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Those stories don't come out until uh, a year or two later in 1985, thereabouts. So this is 1983, and this is the first time that, as far as I'm really aware, I'm sure it happened a little bit in the comic books, where you're getting a movie that is picking apart the superhero dynamic in in a similar way. We open with this newsreel where we've inserted a superhero into real-world proceedings. We see Arkin kind of goofing off as he's stopping the Nazis. But we his Captain Invincible is very much a Superman type to a degree. He's a... He's a kind of no-nonsense, straight-laced guy who truly believes in uh, this American ethos. And if we do right for others, right will be done to us. He's 
kind of almost single-handedly help stop uh, various factions that want to tear apart the United States, including the Nazis. But he's also back home. We see him fighting Prohibition era. And we see him doing all of this for various presidents over the years until McCarthyism. And we see him caught in the crossfire of the blacklist. And he himself gets blacklisted. The superhero that has done so much for uh, the United States now finds himself uh, called into question because he wears red. (laughs) which he points out last I checked, it was one of the colors of the flag and he's also uh, cited for wearing underwear in public, you know? So all of these things end up with him being sort of exiled, self-exiled and leaving the United States and, and ending up in a drunken stupor in Australia until decades later, uh, he's called back into action because his nemesis, Mr. Midnight, who's played by Christopher Lee as this Nazi Aryan megalomaniac very much a like a like a lex luther type who also has this ingenious real estate scheme uh, remember this movie's come out in 83 so not that many years after the first couple superman movies so the gene hackman lex luther isn't isn't so much i think it's a little bit of, of that and it's a little bit of dracula right and christopher lee's having a great time here but he plays this uh, evil genius that has this plan to, and this is where the movie gets interesting. He he wants to take New York City and sort of uh, using the hypno ray that he's stolen from the government, he's going to bring all of these minorities into specific housing he's built for them, and then he's going to annihilate them, and thus he's going to make New York City pure again. So. This is a pretty heavy sort of storyline for a movie that looks on the surface, a movie I never heard of that I assumed was sort of a uh, a lark, right? And the first thing you notice about this is that visually it's very interesting and idiosyncratic. It keeps swapping uh, every little bit, but it is a comedy. Uh, Mora has cited it as cinematic minestrone. He tried to put everything in there, and that's true. This movie has songs, more than one, about four or five of them, actually, and they've been produced in such a way that they're a significant part of the film. Uh, many of them are written by Richard O'Brien of Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you get this idea that the musical component is big, this component of the, of the blacklisted superhero who... Uh, once believed in something and doesn't anymore, who's now an alcoholic. He's he's in such an alcoholic super that he doesn't even realize he's in Australia until they start to sober him up. Uh, you, can't, you take all those disparate pieces and you put them together, and it takes a really skilled person to make it work. I watched two versions of this, the theatrical cut and the director's cut. They're both in this three-disc version that Severin put out. The uh, theatrical cut, it doesn't it doesn't come together. It doesn't come together as a, as a full... Uh, like satisfying movie experience, but it is a hell of a lot of fun, even in that theatrical cut, uh, because of a couple things. The movie has a lot of weird energy. If you've seen some more of his other movies, you'd know that. He's, the schlock overwhelmed him in some of his other films, but a movie like Mad Dog Morgan, where he's able to take that Dennis Hopper performance and drive with its madness to a conclusion, it's a pretty, pretty good movie. Uh, this one works because Alan Arkin is giving Honestly, one of I love Alan Arkin. I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm a big fan of his. I think he's an underrated actor. I think he's got something that's uh, that a lot of people uh, strive for but don't always reach, which is he can be a very grumpy, gruff character, but he can also at the same time be a very sensitive and um, heartfelt character. Uh, he, he He's done that in a lot of his best roles. He does that here, and he gives this movie a bedrock where this is a really good performance. This is a really interesting character. This guy... Uh, really does believe 
in the United States, but it is done uh, and, and its ethos. But he he found himself hung out to dry like a lot of people did. Uh, Mora talks about how, and, and these, these movies have great special features. Mora talks about Christopher Lee wanted to do this movie because it gave him the opportunity to sing. That and and uh, Mora talks about how Lee really hates Nazis <laughs> and apparently was a Nazi hunter in real life, but that's for another podcast. And uh, you can find some of that in special features here. But Alarkin wanted to do this because his father had been a school teacher who was blacklisted. So the concept of the blacklisted superhero, of a, of a man that's sold out by his country and is brought back to sort of fight for it. And he's also fending off alcoholism. And there are these little sequences among all this nonsense. There are sequences where you have Kate Fitzpatrick, who plays off of him. Uh, it's interesting. She plays Patty Patria, who is the he ends up being his keeper you know with they're trying to renovate captain invincible from being this drunken australia back to the superhero who can use his magnetic abilities and he can fly and he's going to face off against dr midnight and get the hypno ray back well in the process of that he needs someone who's going to help sort of renovate him because he's a wreck and they keep this relationship between them the one that's very much a a friendship and a platonic relationship. And it's, it's kind of refreshing because you keep waiting to get pushed into sort of Lois Lane and Superman. And they, they make some, they have a few uh, jabs at that. Can you read my mind scene from Superman? They play a bit of fun with that, but they keep this relationship. That, that's very interesting. It feels very poignant. And there's a scene when he is in her apartment and uh, she has all the bottles laid out and his captain invincible is picking them all up. And he's no, no, I don't intend to drink them. I just want to read the labels, but he holds them just a little bit longer. And Arkin peppers the whole movie with stuff like that, where we have this sincere performance and then an equally intense performance by Christopher Lee in the middle of this movie. that has a lot of schlock. There's a sequence where captain invincible and uh, Patty have to fight vacuum cleaners. They're locked in this vacuum cleaner repair store and the vacuum cleaners are attacking them in a sort of remake of the snake pit scene from from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, complete with a sequence where, you know, the va vacuum cleaners start <laughs> to suck off various pieces of their clothing. And as uh, Arkin throws one of them down, he, he, he says, now I know why nature abhors a vacuum, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're, you're getting that kind of material in with a lot of songs, including a sequence that I had to send some footage of this to, to uh, Trey and Dave that shows Christopher Lee singing a song uh, where he is uh, extolling the virtues of alcohol in an effort to knock Captain Invincible off of the wagon so he no longer has to contend with him as an adversary. As I said, there's a lot of goofy stuff in the movie. I had never seen the movie before, and I think what Severin has done here, the, 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 the way that it looks, the transfer is gorgeous on the theatrical version. But I, and, and it's because some of the elements were things that Mora had, but I don't think anyone else had, when you look at the director's cut, which adds a few things in, including, strangely, some nudity. This was a PG movie, so there's a few naughtier bits, but nothing too excessive. Uh, but the director's cut feels like a more fully rounded movie. I enjoyed the theatrical version. The director's cut made me think, hey, this is sort of uh, a fun cult classic that I will return to. And I got a lot more out of it, and I felt the characters were more fleshed out, and that the whole themes were fleshed out a little bit more. And we had more flesh. Yeah, there's that too. But... This is a really fun movie. It is, I think, a movie that was, uh, it just ended up falling into the cracks because superhero movies weren't that popular at this time if you weren't Superman. And honestly, though, this is better than any of the Superman sequels that came after part two. And it's better than any, really, most of the, the superhero films that we got in that stretch of the 80s up until Batman. But this is a very different kind. After Batman, we got darker, uh, more aloof superheroes. We were still here in a, in a, in a period of time where you're talking about a more gentle cast of superhero. This is a movie that spawned from, from uh, Superman, 
the Christopher Reeve Superman, and there's a lot of that energy here, but it's got that weirdness. It's got that Aussie eccentricity that I really appreciate in the movie. And the, the musical numbers are weird. They're goofy. Does every single thing work? No, it doesn't. There are lots of jokes that feel like they were ported in from a Zucker Brothers movie. You might get something out of those too. Again, the sequence where he fights the vacuum cleaners is completely insane. Uh, the flying sequences are hilarious. But what Mora has done is he's taken bits that wouldn't necessarily work and he's twisted them just a little bit so that they fit nicely into this. So if you're a person who seeks out strange, weird movies, definitely check this one out. It also helps that there are some great special features here. Again, uh, Severin allows us to delve into a lot of the aspects of the filmmaking. Uh, we even see Mora bring in the original screenwriter, Stephen DeSosa, who had written basically a straightforward superhero movie. Uh, but what had struck more about it was those opening scenes involving the newsreels, which I think are some of the best bits. The, the way that they've recreated that really, really works for the movie. And that intrigued him. And then he helped with some other writers build the comedy in. But we see a lot of interviews. There are some making ofs on the original disc. The One of the best features is on the director's cut. You actually have uh, Mora and the director of Not Quite uh, Hollywood, the movie about the Aussie exploitation films, uh, doing a full commentary on this movie. And you hear more talking about what a joy it was to work with both Ark, our, um, excuse me, work with Arkin and with Christopher Lee. It's honestly, as a Christopher Lee mega fan, it's great just to see uh, him on screen singing and with such energy. He made a lot of movies in the 80s that uh, really were just sort of like uh, one-off cash the paycheck sort of thing, you know. Um and here, this is not the case. Both of these actors are committed. It's a lot of fun. It's a great release. Um, I It is a movie that I'm glad was sort of pulled back out of the ether because I am a fan of Arkin. I'm a fan of superhero movies. Although, I've, I've, I, while I have uh, cooled on them, you know, in recent years, it's fun to see one like this that captures all the schlock, that captures the energy, and harkens back to a kind of a different time. It reminds me more of what it was like for me reading comics growing up than maybe what some of the films are now. Now, visually speaking, it's all over the map. But again, some of these kind of really rough, ch chunky special effects are are in some ways more endearing than seeing, you know, uh, everything built in computers and I can show you whatever I want. Uh, there's a certain amount of imagination here that, that goes into this. Uh, particularly when you there's a scene in the middle when we see Arkin on a subway singing one half of this duet in a sense where Captain Midnight and or Captain Invincible and Mr. Midnight are sort of st uh, staking the terms of their existence and uh, Lee has this backup singers that would make Robert Palmer blush and it's just a it's a lot of fun it's a weird movie I'd say this is a must have if you're a fan of uh, superhero movies for sure you want to add this to your collection if you're a a fan of weird movies. If you're that collector that's looking for the oddball bit that you you go around looking for little lost uh, gems, if you will, this one qualifies. This is an odd movie, and it's a good movie. In fact, I like it better than a movie like, uh, although I enjoy it, like a movie like Buckaroo Banzai. This feels, this isn't just a cult item. There is a story there and characters that could connect to. So I highly recommend it. It's a, you know, it's it's a little pricey. It is, this one does go in about the $30 range. It might be less now. When I uh, pre-ordered it. I think I got it for about $27. So good film, uh, surprise to me and a seven release. So that's, uh, that's what I have. Sounds interesting. You've been, um, talking this one up for a while now. So to Dave and I, at least, so I'm interested to get my hands on it. I can't, I have to show people this because yeah. it's hard to believe what I'm seeing, <laughs> but, and I think there's a lot of movies like that where you, you know, just the aspect that this was ever made 
is almost enough. But what I what what I appreciate is I've now seen this movie twice, and I think and I, and actually about two and a half times because I saw a bit of the commentary. I think that it is a movie that works as a film at, beyond just being a sort of a, a like a let's gawk at it from the side of the road sort of thing. It's yeah. not just a sort of carnival attraction. It's a legitimate movie. And I think that, so once the, the novelty of it being so odd and, and, and seeing all these things in it, uh, there's a, there's a film there at the center of it. All right. So that concludes our episode. I do want to take some time to, I'm going to mention right now, our next episode, we're going to do what we did here. And we're also going to talk about arrow films. Uh, but starting after this episode, we are going to start a director sort of series. We're going to look at the uh, – right now we're picking directors where we're probably going to look at close to every one of their films. Uh, as we go on, we have directors with a larger body of work. We may pick a smaller section of them and do that. But we are going to go through uh, director filmographies, and we're going to do this sort of a almost like a, a, a um, film book club, if you will. And we're for this first series, we are going to do – uh, the movies of David Lynch, and we are going to start with Eraserhead. So what I'm going to mention now is sort of from the book club or film club perspective, uh, by the time this episode comes out, I will start to have a Facebook specifically for Phantom Video. We'll be, conclude, uh, we'll be including our posts, though, in the Phantom Galaxy Facebook page. But uh, the first movie is coming up is Eraserhead, so you're going to have time to find Eraserhead, to take a, to watch it if you want to, and then we will be discussing it, and I want to put up uh, an ability where people can send in messages. Uh, you can send voicemails if you want, and we can uh, sort of have almost like a, we will review the film, but we will also uh, incorporate your messages, your comments, and your voicemails. So it will be sort of like a film club where you have the opportunity to watch the movie beforehand, uh, in bring your comments, and then we will record the, the episode. So first movie is going to be a razor head. There'll be more information about uh, how, you can provide your feedback on it, but uh, we'll have that coming up soon. We'll probably have a new mailbox as well. But, but right now, I want to go ahead and thank again Trey and Dave uh, for joining. I think we had a lot of uh, great uh, recommendations tonight and a lot of great reviews. Uh, Trey, go ahead and let everybody know where you can, uh, where they can find you. Yeah. I host a solo cast called Screaming Through the Ages, where I go through the history of horror movies and horror adjacent stuff. Um, right now, probably when this releases, I will be getting ready to delve into some kaiju um, episodes, and that's going to be a lot of fun since that's something I'm very passionate about. Um, other than that, you can find the podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages. Uh, the Facebook group is Screaming Through the Ages. And yeah, just uh, if you listen and enjoy the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you shared it. Super looking forward to the the, the kaiju. I want to see how deep how deep the uh, well goes here. Cause there's some pretty wild stuff out there. I know you and I have already thought, discussed some of them. And um, at some point, yeah, yeah. We have to talk about the North Korean film where the director was actually kidnapped <laughs> exactly. to make the movie. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> so Dave, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you. All right. Well, I'm on, uh, you know, I have my uh, blog, DVD infatuation.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DVD infatuation. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Letterboxd. I'm on Instagram. Uh, as far as other podcasts, uh, we have the Illustrated Fan, which is also part of the Fan Galaxy Network. Uh, we have uh, Land of the Creeps, which is just such a blast with uh, with Greg Amortis uh, and Bill Van Vagel uh, recording that one. It's always a blast. It's always so much fun. And 
and we have the uh, DVD Infatuation podcast, which is my own solo cast, uh, which is part of uh, Jay of the Dead's Considering the Cinema feed. Uh, go on to Consider the Cinema, and then search on DVD Infatuation, and you'll find it. And, of course, uh, uh, Jay of the Dead's new horror movies with, with Jay, with Greg, with Joel, Mac, uh, Dr. Walking Dead, Mr. Watson. It is so much fun. It's like a party every time we get together. Very cool. So that is, that's the Phantom video. If you guys have feedback, we'd love to hear it. And until next time, see you then. Take care. <laughs>